Welcome to the Hoopsville season finale. I am your host, Dave McHugh. Thank you for your patience. As it took us a little longer to get this finale show out the door, you will notice it is a podcast-only version. To be honest, it is too difficult to put a live show together more times than not. This being one of those more times, as the schedule just didn't allow it. Uh, but it also allowed us to get a little bit more content for this end-of-season show, and we hope you don't mind that either. Again, you can always interact with us on Twitter, at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. You can always email us. By the way, our email's back up and running just in time for the finale, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can also find us on Instagram at D3Hoopsville there as well. We will do our best to keep that account interesting throughout the offseason, but we'll talk about the offseason at the end of the show. Again, coming to you from the WBCA and ABC studios, and we'll get our thank yous to them and others out of the way later in the program as well. Of course, we have two national champs, and hats off to them. Wisconsin Oshkosh winning it on the men's side for the first time in program history. And hats off to Thomas Moore, who officially won their second title in four years on the women's side. Bittersweet, obviously, with Thomas Moore winning the national championship because they are leaving Division Three. a topic we will dive into briefly a little bit later. Of course, for Oshkosh, a lot of weapons coming back, and the question we, we will certainly be talking about in the offseason and in the early part of next season is how many teams bring back so much talent and how many teams are probably in the running for a, another national title. It's interesting, though, how close Oshkosh came to actually winning back-to-back -back titles, just missing out last year to Nebraska Wesleyan. It just shows that, again, good programs in the WIAC, they continue to develop good teams. But it also shows, if you look at the history of Division Three, that a lot of teams have an opportunity, and Swarthmore was a prime example of that. And they bring back basically everybody but Cam Wiley. That will be a little bit of an adjustment but they will still have the right pieces in place. So what should you expect coming up on today's finale of the season of Hoopsville? Well, we'll talk to both winning coaches, of course. We'll also get a breakdown of the championship weekends from our usual sources, and plus a little bit more for you. We'll start on the men's side, and we'll have a Fort Wayne recap as we take a little bit of our post-game show between myself and Pat Coleman and Bob Quillman and bring that back to you to hear our immediate reactions to the championship by the Titans. We'll then hear from Wisconsin Oshkosh's interim head coach, Matt Lewis, and we talk about and I give some ideas about how that interim title might get removed. We'll then switch gears, talk to Gordon Mann about what happened at Roanoke College and how Thomas Moore ended up with another national championship. Then we'll talk to Thomas Moore women's basketball coach Jeff Hans, not only about the championship, but his thoughts on Thomas Moore leaving, and then my thoughts on Thomas Moore leaving. And then we will wrap up the season a little bit of the same way we started the season, talking about the Jim Calhoun effect, taking over St. Joseph's of Connecticut, a first-year program. We'll talk to the producers of a four-part series on ESPN about the Calhoun Project, why he took over St. Joe's, talk about a little bit of what we didn't even know was going on behind the scenes, how you can still see what I think is a rather interesting take 
on Jim Calhoun and Division Three basketball, and much more. So that's coming up, and then we'll wrap up the show with our final thoughts and our thank yous and what you can look ahead to the rest of the offseason and what we hope to do leading up to next year. There's also a notebook we'll throw in there with some uh, news that's already come out in coaching ranks, what you can expect to hear in the near future and what we may be looking at in the offseason as well. So that's all ahead here on this season finale of Hoopsville. I'll say a little bit more at the end, but this was a tremendous season. Yes, the women a little bit more predictable than the men's, but the women's side was still exciting. To see a school like Thomas More in the schedule they put together, then have the the off period they had and still be able to win a national championship, taking on some of the best women's teams in the pro in the country at the same time. Absolutely outstanding. And on the men's side, how wide open it was and how Oshkosh almost kind of fell off the radar to some degree. While they were still certainly a top five program, not a lot of people talking about them as they went to a national title. We'll talk about all of that, our takes on Fort Wayne, even Gordon's take on how Roanoke College in the city of Salem did once again, but for the first time on the women's side. But again, another outstanding season in Division Three, despite being absolutely exhausted and physically beat up, and that is literal, I am physically beat up from this season, I'm excited for next year. Excited about the opportunities, we'll talk about some of that excitement at the end of the show as well. So a quick first segment here, because we want to get on to the rest of what is a jam-packed podcast for you. When we come back, we'll look back at the men's championship in Fort Wayne. Pat, Bob, myself, their final thoughts, and then we'll talk to Matt Lewis. And then still ahead, the women's championship, we'll talk about the Jim Calhoun, and then our final thoughts. You are listening to the Hoopsville season finale podcast, presented by D3Hoops.com. Thanks to the WBCA and NABC. Back with more after this. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. UW-Eau Claire and Mayo Clinic Health System are creating amazing opportunities for students from across the Midwest. Our collaborative research agreement allows students to work with world-renowned physicians and scientists. And with more than 80 majors, UW-Eau Claire is the perfect fit for those who dream big and are ready to change the world. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that. A lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, 
a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. And welcome back to the Hoopsville Season Finale Podcast. I'm Dave McHugh, coming to you from the WBCA and ABC studios, thanks to our partners at D3Hoops.com and everybody else. Thanks for taking the time. Sorry for our delay once again, but appreciate your patience as we recap the season. We hope to use this as a catalyst, as we'll talk about at the end of the season, for more podcasts during the offseason. All right, so let's take a look back at the men's championship. Oshkosh winning their first ever title in a very solid win over Swarthmore after a very big win the night before against Wheaton in the semifinals. In an effort to save a little bit of time and to get a better reaction, let's go back to our Hoopsville Courtside postgame show with Pat Coleman, Bob Quillman, and myself as we recap the entire thing. The Titans are the champs. They put on a clinic this weekend in team basketball, team defense, sharing, and also when you know who's playing well, you ride that horse as far as you can, and Flynn was a heck of a horse to ride. Yeah, I was just thinking as I was watching the game tonight, there's a lot of coaches here, there's a lot of players here, and if you want to know what it takes to win a national championship, just watch the Oshkosh Titans play basketball. I mean... I don't even know where to start. They just play the game the right way. First of all, they have great players. They play smart. They play fearless. They share the ball. Um, just a complete team. And, yeah. and like you said, you know, they have such good players and, and depth and balance. And, boy, it was uh, big old Jack Flynn, to me, the story tonight. He was unstoppable on either end of the floor. To be honest, both teams actually played pretty decently. It's not that Swarthmore didn't play well. Oshkosh has played better. Five players for Oshkosh figured, finished in double figures, led by Flynn's 33 points. Four players for Swarthmore finished in double figures, led by Zach Hotel's 22. It was actually, despite the, the final score of 14, it was a pretty good game, kind of like last night's semifinal as well. That wasn't a bad game. Swarthmore kept making runs. Oshkosh had to absorb them and just kind of hold them off. They didn't break, and that was the key. Yeah, it took a little longer tonight, obviously. We talked about in the pregame show for this that uh, Oshkosh jumped out to that 8-0 lead last night. They did again here this afternoon, evening, and then it became, but it became 11, and it became 13, and it was, you know, arm's length or maybe whatever's next beyond arm's length. There's about three or four possessions for quite a while until fairly late in the first half when Swarthmore began to work its way back into yeah, it. Cut it, it to within three. Yeah, I would say it wasn't, it, it, this was not a blowout, certainly, but it, but it also wasn't a very close game. You know, like it was it was it was a comfortable lead for Oshkosh most of the way and I think that's a credit to how well they played because yeah. Swarthmore is an outstanding team. Anyone that saw them play last night left thinking, "Wow, are they good?" And they're talented and versatile. Oshkosh just the better team, the bigger team and what they were able to do to bottle up Swarthmore's potent offense. I was just so impressed. Yeah, it was listen, Swarthmore Maybe not the not the best game they could have played. Uh, they finished the night 44%. That's just a, a hair under their best shooting percentage. They turned the ball over just nine times. They shot from the outside for the game 42%. It wasn't a bad game. 
they just ran into a buzzsaw that was clicking on all cylinders in, in Oshkosh, and this is an Oshkosh team that is the only team that, that won at home last weekend. They're the only team that, I don't want to say flew under the radar, but only had one challenging game that was Guilford who came running back at them in the round of eight. They found, <laughs> interesting enough, they were one and two in their final three of the regular season. Right. And then finally, kind of, not finally put it together, but put it together at the right time. And that is why, you know, if any part of that they were not on the radar 110%, that's why. A little bit of stumble at the end, didn't win the conference tournament, uh, you know, lost a regular season game. And they had a couple of, you know, unusual regular season games too. You remember Ben Boots had to score a bunch of points late yeah. to lead them past Stout, and Stout was... Not in the conference, the conference. Not in the right. conference tournament this year. Let's just say. Yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, every you know, in, especially in great conferences, you're going to have nights like that right. every once in a while. Uh, as Bob well knows, yeah. knows well, it's really difficult to run the table in a conference, uh, in a really good conference. And so, you know, sometimes those bumps happen. But when they come at the end of the season like that, uh, that's when you know you begin to think, okay, so. Maybe it will. Maybe we'll think more about Augustana. Maybe we'll think more about Whitman. Maybe we'll think more about Amherst, which came on late. Yeah. And we don't think as much about UW Oshkosh, but they were, you know, they came in uh, twenty whatever and three, twenty-three and three into the NCAA tournament. And you know, I, I think what really Swarthmore's issue was was the size of Jack Flynn, because yeah, the things that they were doing last night against Christopher Newport. Move your Newport. head, Dave, and you can see them cutting the net behind yeah, you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I'm the sorry, that they were doing last night against Christopher <laughs> Newport. They couldn't do today because they'd get the ball in the low post and those those little turnaround half hooks, those were getting blocked or, right. or they were having Boy. to shoot them so high. Yeah. You know, they were just errant. Yeah, and, and they kept going right. back at it and going back at it and it just didn't work and they didn't, they couldn't find a way to adjust and make it, uh, you know, do something that was right. more functional. And then on the other end, you know, Jack Flynn would get the ball, no problem, down in the low post. And for a guy as big as he is, he has phenomenal touch. Such soft touch. He can go with that little right hand, which is what he shoots most of the time. Right. But he can also go the other direction with his left hand. I, I just think he is a fantastic player and uh, f for me, he was the, the most outstanding player here in the I believe they games. Didn't, I, they didn't I, announce did it. Did I not hear it? Okay. Uh, I wasn't sure if I heard it or not. And just to get Flynn's line on here for the record, 33 points, 13 of 18 shooting, 7 of 8 from the line, 7 rebounds, couple of block shots. Uh, he, he got my most outstanding player vote. I think he kind of ran the table for our crew. Yeah, absolutely. I saw a tweet during the game. It was like uh, every coach in America asking right now, how do I recruit a Jack Flynn? <laughs> yeah. That's to me, there's there's like three difference makers in in Division three recruiting. One is to find the the six eight dominant center guy. The other is to find the stud point guard, and yep. the other is to find the big wing. You know, yeah. the big wing. And Oshkosh has all three of those pieces. They do. And then they have yeah. all the other stuff too. Yeah, no, that's what's impressive about them is they are cutting down the nets. Fascinatingly, behind us on the Warner official Warner podium. Ladder, which apparently, I don't know if it can be found at Lowe's, but it's got a Lowe's <laughs> sticker on it. If it can be found at Lowe's, I might go pick one up just in case. It's, it seems just like In case you have a net to cut in down. In case I your, have a net. And get my garage. son ready maybe for cutting down nets. <laughs> I, I, sure. 96-82, your final Oshkosh over the garnet of Swarthmore. And there's Ben Boots with the final uh, cut of the net. They're clearly going to do both. Very, des very deserving. Otherwise, Ben... Um, a little too quick on the net cutting, but I they'll they'll get both. Nets I think here. yeah, Coach Lewis will probably get the final cut yeah, on the next. I one. have a feeling. Um, 31 years old, by the way. We should point out. Years old. Um, 
Then he has to interview, the game for, his, being wrapped to up. interview for his job here in the next Yeah, I know. Weeks, he has right? to technically interview for his job, though I think the interview on CBS was pretty good. I think he could just sub <laughs> submit the uh, tape. For those of you that don't know, he's an interim head coach. Well, I was going to say, we have, a, we have a final honor to give, but I guess we have two, because don't we have interim coach of the year and coach of the year to give out? He is well, clearly the interim coach of the year. <laughs> right, he, exactly. he's, he's been the interim coach of the year since we named him that during the game. <laughs> right, exactly. And now that the game is over, I yeah. think we name him the D3Hoops.com 2019 Men's Basketball Coach of the Year. Yeah. You talk no while I tweet that. Yeah, no surprise at all. The, uh, the, the way the, the university system works, I right. guess, in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, they're required to interview some candidates. Yeah, basically they got two choices. Naming them interim allows them to at least forego the effort for a while, but they still have to at some point go through a formal process of opening the job, taking applications, seeing people, and making a decision. It's just the way they do the stuff uh, in a lot of states, but especially in Wisconsin. The ultimate great interview situation, right, is you go in uh, and they start asking you, you questions and you just, you just pull out the <laughs> walnut and bronze trophy <laughs> and you just say, what what other questions do you have? Yeah. Uh, so what do you think you can do for the program? <laughs> and then you bring I've Jack Flynn in, you sit him down, and there he is. Um, Pat Yuckum, <laughs> by the way, gets the uh, assistant coach of the year. <laughs> I would this bring year. in. I would bring in a PowerPoint presentation with just like twelve slides, <laughs> all wanted and promised. Yeah, right. I'd bring. I'd wear the confetti around <laughs> myself too. If what I defense that. do you plan on using? Uh, just putting the walnut and bronze on the floor and telling them to not trip over it. By the way, a shout out to Pat Yuckum, who coached this team yeah. last year. Recruited. He recruited yeah, well, these he, guys. Well, and he as did Matt. Yeah, ex they, they both did. Right. So he was the head man who was here, and he deserves you oh, know, absolutely a, a very big shout-out. Of course, he is not here. He's with the WashU Bears as their head coach. but and Had a good year, first but year But, boy, he's a, he's a big part of this as well. Yeah, I mean, he put the groundwork in place. Lewis will tell you that in – I mean, he will not shy away from that fact, obviously. But, you know, I, I got a Glendon, uh, Brendan Gulick had the great story about how Lewis found out he had the job. In, he was riding an elevator up the Eiffel Tower. When he happened right. to look down at his email to check some emails, and there it was, hey, would you like to be the interim head coach of Oshkosh next year? And as his fiance said, you'll never forget when you got offered the job. I think Ryan Scott wrote that on our website. Did he? Yeah, I've read eight <laughs> stories this week. It's all a blur. Oh, no, this was like earlier in the season. Oh, okay, so, then I missed yeah. that one. But We're yeah, way I mean, ahead of that. It's just, it, they listen, to get back here is tough enough. We, we can count how many three or four teams that have won titles and lost in the next year in the title game. That was impressive enough. Again, first time since 76-77 when Wittenberg lost in the title game, then came back and won it. Tells you how hard it is sometimes to lose in the title game and get back here. And sometimes you need to get, have guys return. I got bad news for the rest of Division Three. Most of those two teams on the floor are coming back next year. Yeah, certainly if uh, Oshkosh loses arguably one of the best point guards in Division Three, in Ben Boot, so that's a big loss. But sure. That big well, old, they got some other guards and come. That big old guy that did all the scoring yeah. tonight, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jack Flynn, he's a junior. Yeah. He's, yeah. What's his favorite? And uh, that 6'8 guy that makes all the threes and does all the great things out there, he is coming back. Yeah, see. And, so, uh, and, and by the way, <laughs> I really like um, the sophomore, Connor Duax. Is he yeah, a sophomore? I like is that right? Yeah, he's a sophomore. Yep, he is. Connor Duax is like the next great player there, I, I, I have a feeling. So they have so much coming back. Oshkosh is now just in this, like so many other programs. They're just going to kind of reload and be good every year. Yeah. It just seems like they've got it rolling. They are the fourth WIAC team to win a national title on the men's side. That's the most uh, That's the most for any conference, right? right? Four different national and champions. And 13th chi title for a 
for a YX school. Um, Which is ridiculous, by the way. That's crazy. But interesting <laughs> enough, yeah. um, you know, side note, on the women's side, only two national champions have come from, or three national champions have come from a state school. So it's interesting. A little more on the men's side. And um, Thomas Moore, the winner of the national championship. I was just going to say, kind of stalling. I was waiting to see if Thomas Moore <laughs> was the champ. So they will take the D3 trophy out of Division Three, We'll get to that on a finale show. Uh, favorite ended up with a double-double. 14 points, 12 rebounds, all of them defensive. Uh, Duax had 16 points, 33 points, and 7 rebounds for Flynn. Boots had 10 points and 6 rebounds and 7 assists. 14 points for Wichow with 4 assists as well. For Swarthmore, 12, 22 and 11 for Zach O'Dell. Uh, 20 points for Cam Wiley. Uh, who had a pretty good game. He also had a seven assists. That was a, the, the high along with Boots with five rebounds. 13 points for Visconti, who was a heck of, of a freshman coming back from the Garnet. Uh, Harkins had 17 points. So uh, there was a lot of guys who stepped up in this game, and that's why I think I was so excited by it. This wasn't a game of one team dominating another. Yes, they had a comfortable lead, but both teams really went at it. Did you no. see the net go flying in oh, the air yeah. over my head there? <laughs> yeah, no question. The uh, uh, the Garnet played very well in this ball game. It just really, again, it, it came down to the fact that what they were able to do last night against Christopher Newport, all of a sudden now you get against a team that's bigger than you, yeah. and you can't run some of that same offense, and it just completely threw them off. Um, I really think that, that they're a team, when you talk about next year, I mean, Swarthmore could be your preseason number, you know, Two or three. Two or three or five. Yeah, Who somewhere knows? in the top five. But they are outstanding, and it seems like they're a program now that has established itself as a, yep. a reloading-type program. So add another kind of powerhouse program to the list. Well, yeah, I mean, Hopkins in that conference too. Josh Leffler has kind of started that same process. There's a lot of teams now we could talk about who are into this stage now where they don't lose a lot of players, and that goes with that parity balance conversation we've been talking about. Augustana, five straight conference right. championships. They're doing the same darn thing well, uh, that, across and, the country. And that's how it goes, you know, with, uh, with teams like that, or teams like Swarthmore, teams like a lot of people. You are known best by the opponents in your own conference, and someone who's going to pick you off on a random night, you know, and make you look human is going to be someone who has seen you uh, has seen you live twice and Bart. has seen you on tape, you know, ten to fifteen times, right. has broken you down, knows you really well, knows how to play in your gymnasium, perhaps, and that's why you know sometimes someone could come in as a preseason number five or a number three off a year like this and lose a couple games, but still be you know, this good. Well, and it's it's an example of, like, uh, the, the round of 16, Augustana playing Wheaton. You know, that was a tough yeah. matchup for Augustana um, because Wheaton knows them so well, right? And that's the conference thing. Usually when you get away from your conference in the tournament, um, it, it's hard on film to prepare for teams. And so when you're not comfortable with the team or familiar, Oshkosh here obviously got away from their conference and, and look at how well they, they played, just uh, stunning basketball. So there was our take at the end of the championship weekend in Fort Wayne. When we come back, I talked to Wisconsin Oshkosh interim head coach Matt Lewis about the championship and much, much more. You're listening to the Hoopsville season finale podcast presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC studios. More Hoopsville when we get back. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. assault. 
learn how, and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. Welcome back to the Hoopsville Season Finale Podcast, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. I am your host, Dave McHugh. Oshkosh, their first national title in men's basketball and two incredible seasons under two different head coaches, of course. Pat Yuckum, the head coach last season, moving on to Wash U, and interim head coach Matt Lewis, who was a longtime assistant under Yuckum, took over the program this year and is probably on his way to becoming the permanent head coach at Oshkosh. I got a chance to talk to Matt Lewis once they had settled down from their championship a bit, and he talked about not only the job, but, of course, what the championship means in the grand scheme of things. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's a head coach of the national championship, Oshkosh Titans. And uh, Coach Lewis, congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> it still sounds weird for somebody to say national champions and then introduce you. Uh, but <laughs> it's It awesome might take a little thing. time to settle in, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, fourth uh, Wisconsin IAC team to to win a championship, 13th time a, a Wisconsin uh, state school has won a Division Three title. Uh, you you join what is a very exclusive, to some degree, club, but at the same time, once again, showing off that any school in the WIAC is probably possible or has a chance of winning a championship. Yeah, we, we talked about it, you know, seven years ago when we started Oscar, just the, the ability to win a national championship um, from the WIAC, uh, I say WIAC sometimes, and I, I get made fun of for it. But um, you know, this this league is is an animal, um, and there's you know any any school could go and win one, um, which is I think one of the exciting things about competing in this conference is um, if you can survive it and make it to the national tournament, um, you've got a chance to make a run. And um, so I was really excited that we were able to to bring back the the 13th one uh, to the conference. What's also interesting is for the first time since 76-77, a team who finished runner-up came back all the way and won the title. Wittenberg did that way back in the you know, in the day, as it were. Um, it, it just shows you guys had, a one, a lot of pressure, had a huge spotlight, and a lot of expectations with a couple of question marks. We'll get to those in a moment. That's sometimes really tough to pull off even for a defending champs, let alone a team that finished runner-up. How did you guys kind of maintain the focus, as it were, the entire season? Yeah, it, our guys, our, our upperclassmen, and um, you know the guys that had played heavy roles last year, 
um, those guys just had a, a tremendous focus and um, discipline to them all year. Um, you know, we, we were as soon as, as soon as we got back from Salem last year, it was just question after question of, are you guys going back? You know, you, you should go back. You guys should go to the Final Four again. You guys should, you guys should win this thing next year. Um, <laughs> and everybody just wanted to talk about that. And so we just, as, as a collective group in our program, we we're just like, we're, we're not going to allow the outside pressure to get to us. We were just going to try and enjoy each and every day that we had together um, and try and get as, as good as we can um, or as good as we could along the way. And, and fortunately, um, our guys really bought into it, and, and the senior leadership and you know Ben Boots and Brett Wichow, those guys, um, they really led us uh, all year and, and just demanded that we stayed focused on, on what we were doing and, and try not to get caught up in you know this pressure that if you don't make it to the Final Four, you don't win at all, um, you know, this season was a failure. You know, that people wanted to, to put that on you, and we just we didn't want that. We just wanted to enjoy what we were doing. Um, unfortunately, it did lead us to that ultimate goal of winning it. Well, the other course, the the big difference was that you became the interim head coach. Um, and, you know, after Yuckum had left for Wash U, I, listen, I was on a, a, on a college program where the assistant coach eventually became the head coach through a year being the associate head coach, but, it, you know, it didn't go well. It, you know, to be blunt, the assistant coach became a different person. The team didn't react as well to his ideas and and not that I doubted you guys at all but I hadn't you know I had that experience in my head watching you guys going you know is there any point in time where this isn't going to respond the same what worked so well for you guys that you seem to just basically step right into Yuckum's you know role per se and keep this cl- team clicking on all cylinders uh, I think there's a couple of things um one was again just our, our upperclassmen and the way they handled it. You know, as, as soon as Pat left, um, those guys obviously they, they love and respect Pat. Um, but as soon as he was out, those guys were refocusing on on how to move forward. And when I became the the next uh, guy, the guy to move over in that chair, um, they embraced it and, and they ran with it. You know, there was never this um, hesitancy or, or doubt on their end. They just they threw all their trust um, my way, and it definitely allowed us to continue forward. And, and I do think Pat should get a lot of credit. You know, he um, he gave me so much responsibility the last six years, and yeah. other coaches um, that that when it was my turn to, to shift over, you know, I felt really ready for it. Yeah. Um, I felt very well prepared and confident in my abilities to do it. And there are very few head coaches um, like Pat that that just you know, he just let me go the last six years um, and, and just kind of have my hands in every aspect of the program. And so when it was, you know, last spring, you're sitting there mid-May and all of a sudden they're calling you the head coach. I had kind of seen a little bit of everything in the program and I felt confident in my abilities. But you know, the biggest thing was just the way the guys handled it. The guys handled it so well um, that, that they really dictated uh, what the season was going to be. Of course, second game of the season, you hit your first bump in the road. Uh, of course, we all didn't appreciate just how dynamic Wheaton was going to be this season. We all knew Aston Francis was going to be good, but they kind of sent a wake-up call with a 12-point win, granted at their place, but in game number two. How much did that game drive the rest of the season? 
Yeah, they were they were terrific that night, and, and obviously they had a heck of a year as well with their run to Fort Wayne. Um, we knew a little bit about Wheaton going into that game. Um, you know, Aston Francis had been good the year before, but he hadn't quite done what he did this year yet. And so that night was a little bit of a um, like, oh wow, <laughs> this kid, this kid is really difficult. Um, but we stood in the locker room, you know, at, at Wheaton's gym there, and we just said this. This game, game two, November 17th or whatever it was, this game was not going to define our season. You know, we were going to find a way to get better, um, and we had to get better on the defensive end. We did not guard at a high level uh, early in the year, and, and that game wasn't going to be the defining moment. And we were going to look back, you know, several months later, um, and it, sure, it was going to be a loss, but we weren't going to go, man, that was the point where it went wrong for us. So. Um, our guys just kind of re-dug in, and, and we got better defensively, and then we went on a, a pretty magical um, you know, kind of 8- to 10-week run there where we won 21 straight. Um, so our, our guys really bought in on the defensive end after that game. Well, to some degree, it did define your season, though. You pointed out you went on a 21-game <laughs> season or winning streak following that loss, um, and it was something that everybody pointed to as kind of the, the wake-up call, granted across Division three, not just for you guys. Um, about how tough basketball was going to be this season. I, I'd argue it, it did define you guys in many ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely uh, showed us what we need to get better at. Um, and then on Tuesday night, you know, we lost to Wheaton on Saturday. On Tuesday, we went down to Edgewood College yeah. in Madison here, and um, and I, we know the Edgewood guys really well. They're, they're tremendous guys, and they were giving it to us um, there at their place in the Edge Dome, and you know, we were at halftime there, and um, and we had to figure ourselves out at halftime against Edgewood, and, and fortunately we were, able to, we were able to come out with a win there. But, you know, it wasn't like it all of a sudden just, you know, you flip a switch and you go. Like, we, we had to find ourselves, and eventually we figured out who we were um, and, and who we were able to be the rest of the year. Of course, you saw me, uh, Wheaton once again in the semifinals. Uh, different outcome, obviously. And you guys didn't necessarily contain – Aston Francis, you didn't necessarily leave him alone either. It seemed like, hey, we'll we'll take you mano a mano, and we'll see how it goes. But more we more importantly, we just want to kind of slow you down and 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 bug you. Yeah, I, I you know again we talked about it kind of leading into the, that game is you know where you're going to fall on the spectrum when you have a really really good player. You know, are you going to try and eliminate that good player with some different schemes? Or are you um, just going to try and you know let him go and, and really focus on the other guys on the court. And, you know, we just had confidence in our guys at every spot, and we said we're just going to play straight up basketball and see if it's good enough. Um, and fortunately, we had you know two really um, athletic, big you know kind of wings that we could put on, and then Connor Duax and Eric Peterson, and um, they did a tremendous job. You know, I know he still had 44, um, and that's. You know, you're outside looking in, you're like, man, he gave up 44. But I thought our guys <laughs> competed really well on him. And then everywhere else, you know, our guys played really disciplined basketball on the defensive end that night. And, um, and then we were able to score it at a high rate on the other end. Uh, yeah. Uh, second <laughs> half, it felt like a clinic. Um, you guys absolutely exploded in that game, in the, especially in the second half, putting up 58 points to Wheaton's 44, having scored 46 in the first half. 
Uh, and you guys seem to find, and I'm saying this tongue in cheek, you seem to find that you had a guy inside that seemed to be pretty good in Jack Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you occasionally you have to remind guys to, to toss that thing inside to them. Because, um, <laughs> you know, when, when you want to play with pace, um, sometimes you do, you know, you just kind of take the, the first um, good-looking shot you have and, and you don't give the post a look. Um, but our guys, you know, to their credit all year long, um, they were incredibly unselfish. You know, if, if Jack had a good matchup, they'd throw it into him. Um, or if he made a couple buckets, they made sure to get the thing back to him. Or, you know, we'd come to a huddle and we're like, all right, we haven't tossed the thing inside. You know, in the last few minutes, the ball's got to go inside the next couple possessions. And, hmm. and guys were completely fine with that. You know, they just wanted to, to do whatever it took to win. And um, in the final four, throwing the ball to Jack, uh, ended up being a really good thing for us. The quirky thing about that game was you had five guys in double figures. It was all the starting five. Only two guys off the bench scored, both of them with four points in Peterson and Willman. But Wicho, Bo, uh, Boots, and Flynn all scored 21. Favorite scored 19, and Duax scored 14. I know you guys average four guys in double figures. But if anyone were to look at that box score, they'd say, geez, they played a lot of bench guys. They didn't contribute. And that's going to be a problem sign for the next game. Why wasn't it a problem sign? Why is that such a great formula for you guys? Yeah, we're just very balanced um, where we were. And, you know, obviously the, the kind of top four guys that are on our scoring sheet, when you look at it, they get a lot of um, a lot of publicity and notoriety for what they've done. Um, but, you know, Duax, you know, he had some unbelievable games in the tournament, um, including the, the Sweet 16 game against Loris where, where I think Connor was the best player on the floor. I mean, he was just, he was awesome that night. And, you know, Peterson um, in the Elite Eight game had 10 and defended at a high level in that game against Guilford. Um, and then Willman and Veloso and um, some other guys came off the bench and gave us big minutes. And, you know, so not every guy was, was asked to score. But when you have, you know, a handful of guys that can really score the basketball, um, sometimes it's sharing the basketball and getting guys an advantage and then, you know, just making winning plays um, that that's what's needed out of you. So those guys probably could have scored some, but, you know, they, they just bought into whatever was needed and, and they, they played that role uh, really, really well this year. Of course, in the title game, it was deja vu. Same five guys, uh, you know, Willman and, and Peterson also scored. So did Lothro yeah, scoring four points in that game, but it was led by Jack Flynn's 33. There was an additional 16 from Duak, Flavorit, and Wicho with, with 14 and Boots with 10. It was the same formula on paper again, but you had a very different opponent in Swarthmore. How did you guys prepare for the Garnet, considering you had such little time to get ready for them? Yeah, our assistant coaches did a, a really good job. Kind of our, our rhythm or the, the routine of the week was that Myself and, and Casey Korn, um, we were just focused on the Friday opponent always. And then, you know, our Saturday opponent, we had two other assistants that do an unbelievable job with scouts. And so one would take one opponent and one would take the other. And, you know, so they sat down on Friday and, and watched uh, Swarthmore play in person. And, um, you know, they, they kind of got their thoughts together and they had scout and film and everything ready. So, you know, Friday night, you get back to the hotel and, um, you know, there's obviously there's an excitement in the lobby and everybody wants to talk to the guys. And so you got you to kind of funnel them back to the meeting room so we can watch a little film and eat some food. Um, and the assistant that had the scout, um, who happens to be a, a volunteer assistant, mm. um, he works full time in a bank. 
Um, that guy had, had barely slept uh, that week getting ready, and he he took us through the the film and the scouting report, and and then we stayed up late Friday night as a coaching staff, and the guys got rested, and then we watched a little more film and talked scout again, and then we went to shoot around and. Um, I think the the nice thing about it was that they were similar to some teams we had played uh, right. in our league. You know, they had they had really good big kids that um, like to be physical inside, and so we kind of compared them to River Falls. And then they had some kids that that really ran the floor hard, and you know, wanted to shoot threes, kind of in their off guard and their big wing that shot it. And you know, that's a little Whitewaterish. You know, Whitewater sends guys flying down the floor, and and then you just had an elite point guard and. Now, I don't know if there was a great comparison for Wiley. You know, he's just he was really <laughs> good. And so we we had to you know, we had to talk through how we were gonna be able to contain him um as best we could. But our guys are um, you know, kind of savvy guys and, and so when we started comparing them to teams and like, Oh yeah, that does make sense. So I'm like, Okay, now this is how we need to guard it and um our assistant coaches did a, a tremendous job in just having the plan ready. Um and our players did a tremendous job just in you know, kind of soaking that in in a short time frame. You're listening to our interview with Wisconsin Oshkosh interim head coach Matt Lewis and the championship in men's basketball. When we come back, we talk about the individual players and what they meant to the program and what the future may be for not only the program, but Matt Lewis. You're listening to Hoops Open. It's by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More with Matt Lewis when we get back. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. Welcome back to the Hoopsill Season Finale Podcast. I'm Dave McHugh. We're coming to you thanks to D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. We're in the midst of talking to Wisconsin Oshkosh interim head coach Matt Lewis. Let's get back to our conversation held just a short time after the championship. Talk about the players that made this so special, who they lose, who comes back, and what the future is for Lewis himself at Oshkosh. Let's talk a little bit about Jack Flynn, if you don't mind, because let's be honest, Jack Flynn of last year is a very different player than Jack Flynn of this year. I don't know if necessarily throwing it inside and letting him go at it last year was was ne- the game plan or, or 
would have worked as successfully as this year. He was a monster inside. Uh, fun to watch, to say the least. And, you know, interesting enough, Wheaton didn't go necessarily to the double team. Swarthmore certainly brought some. He found ways to beat him every time. Yeah, Jack um, is, is just rare for our level. Um, we're incredibly fortunate to have him, no doubt. He last year, um, he was really good last year, um, but we he didn't have, you know, he mentioned it in the post-game press conference in Fort Wayne. He didn't have as good of a right shoulder last year. He couldn't mm-hmm. get to that left hand. You know, he was, he was a little more one-dimensional down there. And so last year we really worked hard at trying to get him you know, angle scores where he could just catch it and lay it in. And, you know, this year he, he proved that if you just got him the ball anywhere on the left side of the floor, um, you could have some really good things happen in that possession. So we didn't have to work as hard this year to make sure that we got it just in a catch and score spot. Like he was able to catch it off the block and, and take a couple dribbles and, and make good moves. And the other thing about him is he's so unselfish. Um, at times, you have to tell him to shoot the basketball. You know, he's he's trying to he's trying to catch it and, and fire skip passes to shooters and and you know hit cutters and throw the ball back outside and you know which is is awesome. You know, playing through him is a great thing. But it's like, hey Jack, you know, just go and shoot the basketball occasionally, my man. And uh, he did that. <laughs> he did that at a, a really high level on Saturday in the championship game. Yeah, he certainly did. And of course, going one side to the other, he had the baby hook rolling. He had the up and under moving. Uh, he certainly played well. Granted, you guys had a different matchup in Swarthmore. I thought they played Jack Flynn decently. Uh, it, it forced some different scenarios there. They, their inside game was certainly a bit more like yours, though not with a, as big a guy as Flynn. How much did that now rely on Boots and others to also hit the outside shots to keep them from sagging? Yeah, it, no doubt. You, you need to be balanced. Like if you've just got the big kid and, and you don't have guys on the perimeter that are threats, um, then it allows a little more freedom in how you game plan for that big kid. You know, do you double, do you aggressive choke down when, when the guy feeds in the post? But if you've got guys in the perimeter that can shoot the basketball and are, are legitimate threats, um, then that you know gives guys freedom all over the floor. And so if they do choose to go and double, which you know, Swarthmore did throw another body at him a little bit in the second half, mm-hmm. You know, then then Jack would make an unselfish play. Whether that was you know, one time he actually split the double team, which was not something that we uh, <laughs> we worked a, a ton on there. He just kind of did that one on his own. Um, but you know, it, we just talked about if if they're going to try and take one of you guys away, then you just need to move the basketball and let somebody else play. Um, and our guys were incredibly unselfish all year, and, and it really showed in the national tournament. Has it has this sunk in yet? It's we're talking uh what about four or five days after the title has been clinched finally. Has this actually been has this sunk in that you're you're national champs? I I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, we've got uh I've got the hat sitting in my office here. i we've been carrying the uh trophy around the last few days, you know, kinda like the Stanley Cup. Um just kinda hanging out with it. <laughs> I, I I carried it into the building today, and I set it down on the assistant coach's desk and told him to hang out with it for the day. Nice. Um, no, it, it hasn't set in yet, and, and I hope it doesn't for a while. Um, we've got spring break next week, and you know we, we've just been telling our guys just enjoy this thing. You know, talk with your teammates about you know the the crazy things that happened the last four or five months and throughout the the tournament the last three weeks, and 
you need to log all these things into your mind so you remember them um, and just create some memories with your teammates. And we'll worry about the future, uh, you know, a couple of weeks. You know, right now we just we got to enjoy this thing because likely, you know, you probably just don't get back. Yeah. You know, you, uh, you'd like to, but if you're there and you've done it, you got to enjoy the thing. Just make sure the trophy doesn't go on spring break. That that might not end well. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good one. Um, <laughs> the Stanley Cup gets beat up enough during the year. <laughs> yeah, I need to have that thing locked in my office uh, when those guys are getting ready to smart, leave town. Smart, very smart. <laughs> um, you, you talked about getting back. Uh, you don't lose that much. Now you lose Boots, who is obviously the heart and soul and the, and the piston of this team. Uh, and you'll lose Wicho, who certainly provided in key moments of key shots, especially the game, I thought, uh, against Wheaton. He hit a couple outside shots that, that really shook Wheaton up. You lose those two guys, but you bring back Flynn and Fravert, who may be, we haven't talked enough about, maybe one of the better uh, three fours out there in the country. You bring back two acts. You also have guys off the bench like Peterson and the like who can step into roles. This is a dangerous team even for next year. Yeah, our goal um, all along, when I, when I got here with Pat um, and then last spring when he left, um, the goal didn't change. We wanted to build um, the, the elite program in our league and be a, a top program in the country on a, a consistent basis. And so our whole thing is we wanted to do it the right way. And, and for us, the right way was, was finding high-character guys that, that love the game of basketball and and, and wanted to do well in the classroom and, and outside the classroom, just on campus. And we wanted to do it right, and I feel like we've we've gotten some um, some really really good guys the last uh, few years that have, that have truly bought into that. And going back to our first recruiting class that, that graduated high school in 2013, and you know several of those guys were at the championship game on Saturday. We've we've had a, a, a slow and steady build up to this point. And I think it is something that will allow us to stay um, kind of on the national scale. Um, we do have a lot coming back, you know, no doubt, with, with Flynn and Fravert kind of being the leaders um, of that group that's coming back. But we've got a lot of talented guys that, that didn't get to play this year mm-hmm. um, or played very small roles. And those guys have continued to work and get better. Um, and they'll be fighting for expanded roles next year. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what they can do. Um, something that's going to come at the perfect time for us, Dave, is we've got we've got a trip to Spain this May, yeah. where we get ten practices that you know otherwise you just get no contact till next October fifteenth, and now we get ten practices, so it's going to come at a great time because you do lose the you know you lose Boots and Wichow and Van Dyke, and, and those guys have been big roles for us, um, not only just playing but the leadership piece and. So I think we have to kind of figure out who's going to lead us in the 10 days or the, the 10 practices and then the 10 days in Spain are going to be huge for us this spring. Yeah, I feel bad for Van Dyke. He launched a three in his in his minute in the game to try and get something in the national championship. Did not fall for him, but uh, you got a good tip of the hat nonetheless. By the way, another change that could possibly be coming. Uh, you have an interim tag set, uh, sitting on you. And, of course, as YX schools do, the interim tag put on there and short notice. Now the job's got to be officially opened. I'm curious when you – I assume you want the job. Um, when you walk into the interview, are you just going to bring the trophy with you and put it down on the uh, table? That That's our theory is you just bring the trophy and you plop it down on the table and go, any questions? <laughs> um, 
that that would be definitely an option. Um, but I, we haven't been concerned about it all year. Um, that process has, has got to occur, but you know, it's not like something that, that we've talked about amongst our coaches or you know, even the players. The players don't care. Um, they didn't care all year. And so we knew that, that whatever this year ended, um, that I was going to have to go through the process and, and I'll go through it. You know, I, I don't mind doing what needs to be done. Um, I obviously do want the job. I, I love where I'm at. Um, I talked about it last spring with some people and kind of leading up to it is I've got um, my fiance and I bought a house last spring. Um, my mom, dad, brother, sister-in-law, three nieces all live 15 minutes away. And I'm not from here. They've all moved here. Hmm. Um, my my uh, fiance's mom and brother and, and the brother's son, um, they've moved up here from Florida. Um, Casey Korn, our, our, our top assistant, he was a college roommate. Last spring, he, he quit his high school teaching job and coaching job uh, in 48 hours, and they loaded up and they moved up here and they bought a house. His wife found a teaching job. Um, and the other three assistant coaches recommitted themselves last spring and, and are recommitted this year. And so this, this is home for us. Um, this is home for a lot of, a lot of people in our lives. So this is where we want to be and, and I'll do whatever it takes uh, to get rid of the tag and move forward. Hey, 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 Matt, they're following you. They're stalking <laughs> you. That might not be a good sign, man. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's moving to you. I don't know. I'd be a little worried personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I spent I spent a couple of years across the country, Dave, and you know, coaching college basketball. Yeah. It was an unbelievable experience. But there was one thing I learned was was just the power of having family and friends around you sure. when you're doing it. And so, as soon as I could get back to the Midwest, I did it, um, and things have worked out uh, in a way that I couldn't have imagined it. So, um, I, I'm really excited just where we're at as a program, what we just did. Um, the future, what it can hold for us, and um, just how much our, our guys you know, mean to, to what we've done. And um, we've got an incredible, incredible group of guys, and it's going to be an exciting thing for us um, going forward. Uh, you were on uh, an elevator heading up to the top of the Eiffel Tower <coughs> when you were offered the interim job. By the way, a, a, an elevator I have uh, visited myself, a great trip to the top of the of terrifying. It, it is a little, it is a little, it is a little, but it's an amazing view from the top of that place. Um, do you have to go there again to make sure you get the job? Do you have to, is that trip needed, needed now a second year in a row? I need a, I need a two day heads up uh, so I can buy a flight. Um, just give me a little time. No, it's, the cool thing is, I don't know how timing works out, but again, we're going to be in Barcelona and no, Madrid. True, so. true. There's a chance that I receive, um, <laughs> if it goes my way, that I receive an email on standing in one of those cities. If it goes your way. The only way you may have put it in jeopardy was with your AD telling him you may have to suit up and play defense against uh, Aston Francis and the presser. I, I'm just saying, that might be your only negative. He was, Daryl was ready. <laughs> he, he was, was ready. ready. I checked with him at the game. He was ready there, too. Um, I know we've kind of talked about this off air, but can you clear up what was a riveting conversation between Bob Coleman and I, and I'm definitely using riveting in the wrong way. Um, we were discussing, I thought you were in sneakers on the sideline. He said, no, I believe those are Cole Hans. Bob is much better at fashion than I. Can you just clear this up for the public? Yeah, they, they're definitely Cole Hans. Um, they're somewhere in between a sneaker and a dress shoe. Um, 
the, the joke that I get a lot is, is we're getting deep into seasons is, Hey coach, that coaches versus cancer uh, week that ended about a month and a half ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. I thought I've the same thing last few years, but they're, they're comfortable. Um, why not? Why not rock them? Absolutely. No, they looked good. That's for sure. Uh, I appreciate that. We, like again, Bob's a little more fashionable than I. Uh, I gave up. <laughs> I gave that up a long time ago and just let others dress me. Uh, Coach, congratulations! Outstanding season. Thank you. Um, I'll admit that one and two finish at the end uh, concerned me slightly, um, but you guys kind of found yourselves, got on your horse, and, and rode it all the way to another championship. Obviously, there will be expectations that you can return to that spot, but enjoy this in the meantime. And again, congratulations. Outstanding season. Thank you, Dave. And I said it uh, last time we talked, about six months ago, but uh, how's your passion bucket after a weekend in Fort Wayne? <laughs> Admittedly a little drained, but running, running over, to be honest with you. It was, it was uh, a fun season. Good, 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 Absolutely. good callback, sir. That was well done. <laughs> I, I, I applaud you. I uh, appreciate, appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy Thank the off season. Enjoy the trip. As always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts for those tuned in? No, I, I thank you, Dave, and I want to thank all the other, you know, just people that, that contributed to the Fort Wayne weekend, including the the D three coaches that are on the national committee. Um, I, obviously, we won, which which brings happy memories. But even if we had lost, um, what they did in Fort Wayne and just everybody involved, that was that was first class, and and it was a weekend that I think everybody can be proud of. So thank you to everybody that had a hand in it. Well, congratulations again. We'll look forward to talking to you down the road and uh, enjoy that doorstop. <laughs> he Thanks, is Dave. Absolutely. He is Matt Lewis from Wisconsin Oshkosh, the interim, for now, head coach of the champions of 2019. Once again, thanks to Matt Lewis from Wisconsin Oshkosh for joining us here on the show. Appreciate the time, and congratulations again to the Titans for winning the championship. A reminder, all interviews on the Hoopsville Hotline are courtesy of our partners at Blue Frame Technology and their industry-leading production truck software. Is your college ready to showcase its teams through a reliable and innovative video streaming service that won't break your budget? Blue Frame's advanced digital broadcast tools will help take your broadcast to the next level. Learn more today by visiting www.blueframetech.com. That's blueframetech.com. And don't forget, you heard it on Hoopsville, and tell them Dave McHugh sent you their way. When we come back, we'll switch gears, talk women's championship. First, we'll hear from Gordon Mann and his take on the championships at Roanoke College. And then we'll hear from Jeff Hands, the head coach of Thomas More, before I give you my take on the departure of Thomas More from Division Three. You're listening to Hoopsville Season Finale Podcast, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More when we come back. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. 
a monster dunk or no-look pass, and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to the Hoopsville Season Finale podcast presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. The Women's Championship was held for the first time ever in the Roanoke Valley. City of Salem and ODAC, along with Roanoke College, hosting the event, this time at the Kreger Center on the campus of Roanoke College. Of course, not at the Civic Center, as we'd gotten used to for 23 seasons in men's basketball. Doesn't matter. The championship's still going to be a, a dandy, and you know it's going to be well taken care of, as it were, by all involved. Gordon Mann went down to see the championships and partake as part of the NCAA broadcast crew. I got his take on the championships, the teams involved, and even the All-Star game. Now joining me on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is Gordon Mann. And, sir, thanks for taking the time to join us. My pleasure, Dave. Uh, So, first and foremost, your uh, take on what was the championship weekend in Salem? Well, I think from an event standpoint, uh, it went very smoothly. The facility is uh, is stellar. It's beautiful. It's uh, you know kind of appropriately sized to Division Three, so the event didn't feel lost in there. There was a, a, a Thomas More brought a good crowd, and and so did uh, St. Thomas and even Scranton the night before that. So um, uh, the the college the the weather was nice. Uh, you know the, the Salem folks. Uh, have have done this many many times before, so there were no uh, growing pains uh, from an from an event perspective. I, I think um, the folks who were there uh, had fun and enjoyed the event to whatever extent the teams they were rooting for won. And um, I think from that perspective, it was it was it was you know not really uh, much to complain about. And uh, you know as far as from the games. Um, you know, none of them were really that close. Uh, the championship game was it was kind of over four or five minutes before the game actually ended. Uh, the St. Thomas Bowden game was a little more tightly contested, uh, and and the Scranton Thomas More game was kind of similar to the title game. But but overall, uh, the experience was very positive. I thought the the All Star game was a really uh, nice uh, addition to it, and you know, I thought the level of basketball, the quality of basketball that was played was was very good uh, even though you know styles you're going to end up with lower scores with with uh, Tom with St. Thomas or or Scranton involved because of the style they play I thought the quality of play was pretty good the kids didn't look too tight or too nervous or too tired or whatever I thought the quality was pretty good yeah interestingly enough yeah you say they weren't you know at the end close games but for about three quarters of every game it certainly looked interesting. A little nip and tuck, a little X's and O's, some changes, some runs. You definitely had some excitement. It didn't end that way as the winning team ended up putting their foot down in every game. But, I mean, you had some dandies in the semis, and even the championship looked interesting for a while. Yeah, that's right. And, and from that perspective, it, it kind of mirrored Thomas More's 
last two games, uh, or last game at least in in their own sectional, where uh, there was there was certainly a question who would win at the end of the third quarter in. Um, you know, in two of the three games, I, I just never really felt like Scranton was going to have the offensive firepower to to, to beat uh, Thomas Moore. But they were they were close. They were close at the end of three quarters, uh, and yeah, it, it was, it was um, games kind of felt like they were pretty much decided with four or five minutes to go, but not with you know a period and a half to go. Right. It certainly was fun. You talked. You've been to Salem for the men's side, and you've now been to Salem for the women's. You get to say that. Well, the rest of us yeah. have not yet. Um, I mean, I'm not going to compare to the Civic Center. I know the Craiger Center just as well as, as anybody. I've been in there. It's a beautiful facility. It certainly, as you said, felt like the right environment. It feels like a nice little home for Division Three. But was what was different? Obviously, the environment was a little different, but was there anything else that was different, or was this the usual Salem hospitality? Uh, you know, I I think um, I think there's a the crowds that you get. You know, candidly for women's basketball are a little smaller. Um, I think the facility, uh, you know, the facility is is kind of more is, is scaled more closely to to the Division three level. It's it's smaller. But aside from that, not really. I mean, the 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 guys down there who run the event, Carrie and and JJ and their crew. Um, you know, this was this. There were no there were no growing pains. This was very yeah. easy for them. Um, you know, things were run very smoothly. I think there was a little less. It felt like at least there was a little less media there. So you know, press conferences were quicker. Uh, fewer people kind of milling around the arena either before the game started or after the game was over. So those sorts of atmospheric things where that add to the feeling that you're building up to a big game or that you've seen something big. A little of that was, was missing, but I think that's just kind of standard for, for the women's final four experience. Is, you know, you look at these games and, and obviously the best team won. There's, there's no doubting that the same thing happened on the men's side. We saw the best team win who played the best basketball weekend and throughout the tournament. But did any did anything stand out to you about the other teams uh, that were playing? Did, did did Scranton surprise? Did Bowden surprise? Saint? Anything along those lines? Yeah, I was surprised that I, uh, Scranton of the of the three non-winners, I thought was the team that um, kind of played above its its ranking. They were they were ninth, so it's not like they were unranked. But I they they were in the game with Thomas Moore. Thomas Moore took a seven point lead. Uh, early in the game, that would have been a chance for Scranton to fall apart, and they didn't. They took a seven-point lead in the third quarter. That would have been a chance for Scranton to fall apart, and they didn't. And then finally, the third time when they took the lead, they they were able to pull away. Uh, but Scranton did a really nice job uh, defending on on Madison Temple for at least three quarters. In the fourth quarter, she was more aggressive and looked for her shot and got it. Uh, but for the first three quarters, they you know they played them they played them very well. I was impressed by. Uh, the players, uh, the defense from the folks on Scranton who aren't Mackenzie Mason or, or Bridget Mann. You know, Emily Sheehan played really well in defense. Uh, Rodriguez hit some big shots. I thought Scranton of all, of the three teams there was the one that demonstrated uh, the most that um, you know th- th- that if there were any questions whether they belonged there, or whether they were sort of a byproduct of a, a favorable home court draw. They, I thought they acquitted themselves well. And, Put it this way, when I voted the, the top four, I have them in the order that they finished in the poll, and I really didn't hesitate or think twice about having Scranton as four. I didn't say, well, you know, what about Wash U or what about Tufts yeah. or what about Amherst or whatever. Scranton was a very solid was a solid four, and I think if 
Scranton played St. Thomas, they would have a chance to win that game too. Well, argument's sake, you could certainly argue Wash U in that conversation just for what the game they gave TMU sure. earlier. Yep. But it, it, it's it's semantics, and we're picking at at minor little things because I agree. I think Scranton held themselves well, and and to some degree, Gordon they lived up to that billing of being a two uh, number two ranked team earlier in the year. Yeah, I, Scranton. I, Scranton played well. Uh, played to their ranking. I thought Bowden and St. Thomas also both played uh, played well and and played to their ranking. And I, I I didn't feel that there was anybody who was really completely out of place there. It was just it was clear through two days of basketball as it has been through however many days of basketball we had since the start of the season that Thomas Moore was just was just better than everybody else. Yeah, of course you got Madison Temple who is. It's amazing, you know. We talked to we'll talk to Jeff Hands coming up here on the on the show, and you know we'll hear, talk more about Temple Madison. But you know, looking back, or Madison Temple, I always do that. Uh, looking back at her stats, you know, even if you include the season that was vacated under Sydney Moss's stats, she's right up there with her. She she had a dynamic career. Yeah, she really did. Uh, she was uh, she was a better passer and distributor than Sydney was. Sure. I think she was arguably a better defender because she didn't have the same uh, leg problems. She was uh, not the offensive player that Sydney Moss was. uh, And, uh, you know, given a choice between the two of them, you know, to start a team, I, you know, I would, that would not, that decision would not take long. I think that Sydney <laughs> was a better player, but yeah. Madison was, uh, was, was great in her own right. And I think what the title game showed is because for three quarters or so, um, Temple really until the very end of the fourth quarter, she hit a big three and then she had a bunch of free throws kind of when the game was already decided. Um, but unlike the Wash U game where she put the team on her back and yeah. won the game in the fourth quarter, or even the Scranton game where she put the team on her back and won in the fourth quarter. I don't know if she would have been able to do that against Bowden, but she didn't need to right. because uh, Shelby Rupp had uh, definitely the best game I've seen her play and maybe the best game of her career. Kayla Saner had a really good game. Um, and even some other players, Brianna McNutt hit a, a big shot. Uh, end of the third quarter, Bowden had taken it from 11 to 5, and if they could have got a stop, they would have started the fourth quarter down 5, and McNutt hit, hit basically a, a shot at the buzzer. And that the difference between five and seven points there felt enormous because then St. Thomas got the or Thomas Gabor got the ball to start the fourth quarter and scored again. Right. So it was the old two for one, and <laughs> uh, the difference between having the ball start of the fourth quarter, having cut the lead from eleven to five, and having the ball a couple seconds into the fourth quarter and having the lead at nine, it, it, it felt like whatever progress Bowden had made it was was basically erased again. What was Bowden's reaction? This is now two times being the runner-up in a row. Uh, you know, much more emotional this time. It's hard, it's hard to say because, you know, I always hesitate to get too much inside the minds and emotions, sure. but there were a lot more tears uh, on, on the sidelines when they were handing out the trophy this year than last year. Um, my sense was that they were more disappointed losing this year, and I don't know if that's because of the volume of seniors they had. They had three seniors who were senior starters. Um, I know Kate Kerrigan was, was you know, pretty emotional in her final press conference, but it, it did feel different. It felt different when they lost. I think, um, you know, last year was a little bit of a surprise. They didn't come into the year ranked in the top 10. They beat St. Thomas and in, in, in the regular season last year and moved up, but then they lost to lost to Amherst and kind of slipped back down and they were kind of lurking in the shadows all of last year. 
This year they were number two in the country to start the season, and then they were number one because Amherst lost its first game. So they were number one. They were undefeated, and they were senior heavy. And, yeah, they had sort of a blip on, or a slip that ultimately didn't matter that much against mm-hmm. Tufts because they were already going to be in the tournament and they were going to host anyway. Right. Uh, this loss was, was much more, I think, kind of gut-wrenching, and, and there was more uh, f- finality to it for that class. I mean, you could sort of group the two Bowdoin classes together. Sure. Because Choate and uh, Kelly, at least, Graham, I think, a little less, but Choate and Kelly both played a lot on last year's team. Um, and, you know, now you'll next year's team, they'll still be good, but that will feel like a, a different class of players for Bowden. Yeah, it, it'll be fascinating to see how they transition, because one thing you and I have noticed, well, geez, it's not like it's a secret. Everybody's noticed it. Tufts and Amherst have done an amazing job in the NESCAC of just staying there. They may have new pieces. Amherst showed this year that they can't always be the the dominant self, but they're going to be in the conversation, and Tufts certainly stays in the conversation. Now Bowden's got to figure out how to do that, and I'll be fascinated next year to see if they stay on par. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, they have had uh, Amherst and and Tufts have clearly demonstrated the ability uh, to reload and to get – to, to replenish themselves, to get new players in there. And, you know, you could even make the case that for Amherst, at least, that they've actually even gotten stronger over time, going from being, you know, a very good team that could get to the Final Four to a very good team that won for two straight seasons. And, um, you know, Tufts has uh, some good young players. They found, they found a way to uh, duplicate and fill gaps uh, so that, you know, this year for them, they, they showed they, they came within a basket or two of making the Final Four with a team that really didn't have an offensive standout. Like, mm-hmm. Unlike, you know, I'm looking at the top ten here, really all of the other teams in the top ten right. had at least one player where you would say, okay, that's the person in a big spot that I can get a bucket from. And, and ultimately that cost Tufts. It was the reason they couldn't, they couldn't win and close out Scranton. But um, they've shown the ability to, uh, to stay at the top, to replicate themselves. You don't worry as much anymore with, with, with Bowden or with uh, Tufts or, or Amherst who they're going to graduate because you know there's going to be somebody really good coming in behind them. And mm-hmm. that will be the challenge uh, for Bowden to, to do that. They had a couple of players who were freshmen um, who played either really well against St. Thomas or really well against Thomas Moore, but not both. Uh, and they'll be, the, they'll be the future of that team. Cela uh, uh, Kay, uh, Maura Train, those players, Dorian Cohen, they all look pretty good. So if I had to guess... You know, is this the type of thing where with Bowden, when they made the final four and then they lost to whoever that was, Wilmington or whatever it was years ago, that that was really it, you know, that they were, it was going to take them a while to get back to that or would they stay up near the top? And I think given what I've seen of the players that contributed on this team and will step into the role, um, they'll be very good next year. And Matty Hassan will be back as a senior. That will certainly help. Um, and and I think they'll be I think they'll be very good next year. I don't know that I would make them the favorite even in their own conference because I thought I thought that what Tufts had um, and what Amherst had coming back were were superior to what Bowden has coming back. But they'll still be very good. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch. Let me quickly go look at next year. We'll obviously read tea leaves later on, but you know how obviously we lose Thomas Moore. There won't be a defending champ in women's basketball, but obviously a lot of these top teams return. Do we expect many of the same names here? Is this just where we are? 
I I think so. I mean, you, the, the one thing that you and I had talked about throughout the season is sort of whether there was parity. Uh, and for the second year in a row, we had the top three teams make the tournament. And the last four years, we've had the top two teams going into the tournament to make the tournament. And we almost went one, two, three, four this year yeah. for the teams that were ranked. You got Tefts. Tufts wasn't able to close out Scranton, but we would have went one, two, three, four. And and this is the big one to me, a home court, teams that were at home, so with you know, with the exception of uh, of Gettysburg, which was at home because of a hosting thing, those teams went 37-2. and two. <laughs> The yeah. only two home court losses were Gettysburg, who was there by circumstance, and Texas-Dallas, who was, who was playing Mary Harden-Baylor. And for whatever reason, the road team won all three of those games this year. So other than that, if you were at home, it's because you were good and you weren't losing in the in the first in the first, second, third, or fourth round. So, you know what that suggests to me is you know St. Thomas will lose Spalding, but they'll still be the class of the MIAC. Scranton loses Bridget Mann, but they didn't have her for a significant chunk of this year anyway. Uh, there are one or two programs I look at the, at the top of ten and I go, all right, that one I'm not sure can duplicate it. Trine is the one that jumps off the page in terms of having you know uh, Brandy Dawson, who's the best player they've ever had, um, and I think Cassidy Williams is a senior. They're the one that if I'm if I'm looking and saying, okay, who drops off a little bit? They're they're probably the one of the top ten. But the rest of these programs, you know, Wartburg has proven the abilities to succeed. Messiah will also have a little bit of a drop off. Their best two players were seniors. Um, but uh, you know, I think for the most part, the teams that you see around the f- the final four uh, the last few years will be minus Thomas Moore, the ones who are there again. Um, the big question is who's the f- who's the favorite? Because yeah. uh, you know Amherst was the favorite entering the season. Folks kind of coalesced around Bowden pretty quickly after that, or at least Bowden and Thomas Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, and next year, I'm not you know uh, next year picking the number one won't be easy, and picking the number the top five won't be easy. I, sure. I suspect the poll will look. Just like the postseason one does, are very similar to it, minus Thomas More, of course. But um, it feels like it will be more more wide open, which means instead of having two or three or four teams who could win the title, you'll have ten. And quickly, we see more parity, obviously, on the men's side. Women's side, we see more parity, whether you want to believe it or not. The problem is that top echelon is so good and so difficult to break into. Are we going to start seeing that, you think? Or is that top echelon so firmly planted right now, it's tough to break up? You know, I I think a big part of it is is the top echelon going to continue to play a lot of home games. Yeah. (laughs) You know, know, Thomas Moore, I know they won't be back, but all four rounds at home, Bowden all four rounds at home, St. Thomas all four rounds at home, Scranton all four rounds at home, Tufts not, and then they didn't make it. Amherst not, but they, you know, those two teams are the ones with the closest losses. Um, you know, you go down the list here. I, I, I think home court can the combination of being very good and being at home makes it really hard for a team to break through. You know, what, what East Texas East Texas Baptist almost did last year in breaking through to the final four, or, or they, they they came up one game short, now seems even more astab- uh, remarkable because they didn't make the tournament this year. Um, and and so the the accomplishment of the year before uh, you know shines a shines a little brighter. I, I think you're going to continue to have churn in that that next tier of teams, teams that are kind of ranked, let's say fifteen to twenty five or fifteen to forty, if you want to extend it out that far. Um, the couple of programs that I really 
thought would take the or a couple of teams that I really thought would take the next step as, up in the tournament uh, didn't this year. Uh, and I don't know if that's because of bad games played or bad draws or whatever. But um, I had been really high on Mary Harden Baylor throughout the year, and they kind of didn't show up for their their semi sectional semifinal game against WashU. I'd been very high on Illinois Wesleyan throughout the year, and they lost in the first round. Um, you know, but I, I I think the top the top ten the national championship teams uh, will still that tier is hard to break into. But that next year, where you're ten to thirty, and if you get hot and hot at the right time, you could win a couple of games and find yourself in the final four. I think there's more that feels more wide open to me now than it was a few years ago. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating next year. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't think it's a sure bet necessarily anymore on who's who's going to win a national championship, uh, as we've seen the last three or four years. But it's also not a sure bet you're going to get a sleeper who's going to make some dramatic run to the championship game either. I, I think women's basketball's kind of got a little bit of a hybrid going on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, quickly go back. I want to talk about the All-Star game before we let you go. First year's uh, a version of it in the women's side of things. Uh, certainly from the outside, some of the pictures and the posts and everything I saw, it looked like a lot of people had a lot of fun. Oh, it was, I thought it was great. I thought uh, um, you had two very different coaches in, in, in Pat Manning and, and Scranton's Mike Strong, who's, who had very different approaches to the game. Uh, Pat, uh, Coach Manning, was, was clearly more laid back and relaxed about it, and Coach Strong was trying to draw up <laughs> plays and show his players moves he wanted them to make or plays he wanted them to run. And, uh, but I, I thought the tone that the WBCA set, and particularly Coach Manning, who, who um, her and Coach Pace from Pomona Pitzer kind of led the charge on this. I thought the, the tone they set was perfect. They said, you know, we're here to have fun. Um, you know, the, the players were clearly enjoying themselves and enjoying each other. Uh, and I was actually a little surprised at um, the level of play being as high as it was because I just thought – all right, you're going to put these players together. They don't, you know, their athletic ability may kind of cancel each other out. They're not getting a lot of warm-up time. I didn't expect much scoring. I thought there'd be a lot more missed shots, but you know, Strong's team almost scored 100 points, and, and Manning's team scored a bunch too. I, I came away from it very impressed. Um, the the three-point revolution that you know we talk about with men's basketball where everybody can shoot the three is not lost on women's basketball because – with the exception of a couple of power forwards who even they could step out and shoot it, a lot of those players could really were really pure shooters and were uh, were not afraid to fire them up and hit. And again, just more than that, because I mean, I don't even remember the score, and the score was kind of an afterthought, but the players had such a great time. Um, the interaction with the Special Olympians before the game was great, and I mean, it's just uh, the amount of... Uh, goodwill and you know emotional positive emotional energy that came out of that versus uh, the kind of soul sucking flat line that the consolation game has been. I mean, there's no comparison. Yeah, it's I I had trepidation going into the men's first one, going well. I don't know because I kind of was a yeah. little bit of a fan of the consolation game. Granted, in the last year or two of its existence, it absolutely looked horrible. Yeah. Um, and I was immediately blown away the first year and it's only gotten better. So I'm glad to hear that from you, uh, on the women's side. And it was great to also hear their vantage point, uh, the players vantage points of being excited for that game too. And perfect city to get it off the ground. Perfect city next year with Dixie Jeffers. If you don't mind, can you, can you share us your funny Dixie Jeffers story? Cause this was kind of weird. 
Well, t- well, two of them. One, I was I was flying to Columbus for uh, for non basketball things for my day job, and was in the airport early in the morning. And, and there Philly, was we should point out, you were in Philly. Yeah, I was in Philadelphia, and there was Dixie Jeffers striding through the airport, not not on a plane to Columbus, but I, I presume headed to Roanoke. But the, I thought the better story was they have a they took a team shot of all the players yes. and they organized them dark jersey, light jersey. It's a, it's a really a great shot. Yeah, it is. They they set a, a a ladder up for somebody to climb up there and get a little higher vantage point, and then they made Dixie Jeffers do it. And I thought, boy, there are a lot of coaches here who. You know, no offense to Coach Jeffers, are probably a little younger, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just good. a wee bit. Couldn't, couldn't one of them climb up the uh, the, the unsecured anybody. ladder? Anybody, picture, yeah, anybody. <laughs> but maybe besides Strong or Manning, uh, right? I anybody. think they were in the picture. So <laughs> yeah, that's they had true. Special dispensation, but uh, <laughs> any anybody else could. <laughs> I did get a kick out of the fact, though, that you were in Philly flying to Columbus before eventually heading to Roanoke, and you ran into Jeffers, who had come from Columbus in Philly, who's heading. Yeah, to yeah. You two should have communicated on plan. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, she had. A, she definitely had a shorter commute. She, yeah, she did not get the joy of driving through West Virginia Oof. like I did. Oh yeah, um, that's a tough and, drive. Uh, and I'm I'm sure she uh, she had a much better time on Thursday night doing whatever she was doing than I did staying in some <laughs> random hotel in Beckley, West Virginia. But, oh, you uh, stayed in Beckley. Oh, bless yeah. you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but in any event, yeah, I mean they'll do a great job next year. That's another that facility. Um, is taller, if that makes any sense. Yeah. The Crager Center, the seats are, are kind of lower to the court and kind of surround it. The Bexley, set, uh, the uh, the Cap Center in, mm-hmm. in, at Capitol looks like a traditional D3 gym, you know, seats on two sides, cement walls behind the baskets. Um, but it, it's, again, a kind of appropriately sized. I remember when Capitol hosted the final four games there the year that the championship was played in Indianapolis. It was very loud. There was a good crowd from Wartburg. There was a good crowd from Thomas Moore, and there were decent crowds from Amherst and Bowden there that year. And it felt like a big game because the arena was the right size. You didn't always get that in Grand Rapids or Holland or some of the other places. Rochester, from what I was told. Right, yes. Very much true. Yeah, I I got that from uh, our good friend Brendan Gulick. Um, Well, I appreciate the time. I'm going to put you on the spot before I let you go. Anything you're looking on or looking at this offseason heading into what will be next year? Uh, oh, well, I mean, we have a couple of of, uh, of interesting openings uh, early on. You know, as soon as the, the um, as soon as the season ends, you kind of pivot to, to coaching yeah. changes, decisions. And every year we've had one or two coaches take a step up and leave us a vacancy, a significant vacancy behind. So, um, you know, two years ago it was, it was Nancy Fay, yep. um, uh, uh, Payne at Puget Sound moved on. Uh, the, the jobs that have opened up so far, uh, McDaniel's, uh, a decent one. Oberlin's a, a decent one, but we'll probably at some point here um, have one of the, and I don't have any insight in this. I'm just, sure. it's just mathematically uh, likely that one of the better, you know, one of the better posts will open up here. Probably have to give it a week or two, let the D1 tournaments play out, uh, and then those programs will make changes, and then that will kind of set off the chi- side effect or the chain uh, chain reaction. But yeah. That's that's the thing to look for in the, uh, in the off season for at least a little while, unless you know, you happen to be plugged into your local <laughs> high school recruiting network and, right. and can make heads or tails or whatever that is. So. Yeah, I try not to do that. That's not, yeah. that's not, I got enough things to worry about. Uh, I don't need to worry about that stuff. Uh, Gordon, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for it. Uh, as always, we give the guests the final word, final thoughts of those tuned in.
Uh, well, you know, if you're tuned in, you're probably uh, relishing in the uh, victory of, of Thomas Moore. You're probably a Thomas Moore fan. And uh, as I said to Coach Jeff Hands, uh, uh, they were a great champion this year. Uh, I thought this year they kind of they erased all – there was no asterisk next, next yeah. to this. It wasn't, you know, the year they had Sidney Moss or the year they played at home or the year they played in the pack or whatever. Uh, I thought they were – um, they they proved themselves to be a great all-around team, and while it does open up the field, I think for 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 the national championship next year, I will miss them. Uh, you mm-hmm. don't have uh, a program. I, I don't. I know there's been programs that have left the NCAA recently for the D2 or NAIA or whatever, but there hasn't been one as dominant in its sport mm-hmm. as Thomas Moore has. And Texas Tyler won the baseball championship, but they weren't a perennial Final Four team right. or World Series team. This is uh, this is big. This is one of the. This would be you know if Kentucky or Kansas or Duke or whatever in Division One just stopped being there. So uh, we will miss them. Uh, I will still consider them ours if they win the uh, <laughs> NAIA championship next year. Nice. They will give me a reason to follow NAIA basketball, which Agreed. I only, was only faintly aware existed before this year. Yep. And, uh, you know, again, congratulations to them on their on their national championship. Well said. Thanks for the time, as always. Take care of yourself. I'll talk to you off airs uh, down the road, and we'll look forward to the season tipping up in November. Looking forward to it. Gordon Mann joining us here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Once again, thanks to Gordon Mann of D3Hoops.com for joining me on the Hoopsville season finale. Appreciate getting his take on things and, of course, his insight as well. Uh, he's a great resource, especially in women's basketball in Division Three, and we love chatting with him. Look forward to chatting with him maybe in the offseason, but certainly as we get into next year as well. When we come back, we'll keep talking Thomas Moore. Jeff Hands joins us to talk about the championship, the incredible talent of Madison Temple and others on that women's basketball program, and, of course, the bittersweet fact that Thomas Moore is leaving Division Three, especially as a champion. All that and more when we come back on the Hoopsville Season Finale Podcast, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division Three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To to stop stop sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. 
Welcome back to the Hoopsville season finale presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. I'm Dave McHugh talking more about the women's championship and especially Thomas Moore. Now we get a chance to talk to the head coach of the undefeated Saints and national champs for the second time in four years. I talked to Jeff Hands about the championship, the incredible talent he has on this team, and the bittersweet departure that will be Thomas Moore leaving Division Three. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's the women's head coach of Thomas Moore, Jeff Hands. And coach, first and foremost, thanks for joining us and congratulations. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be with you. You've got to be, I, I, I say you've got to be thrilled with the season. It feels so uh, mundane. Obviously, you were thrilled. An undefeated season, especially the schedule you guys put in front of you, especially with the gap you put in front of you in the second half of the season. To be able to get through the tournament, you have to be thrilled with how this all kind of came together. Thrilled is one of the adjectives, one of the words <laughs> I would use to describe it. Um, amazed mm. uh, would be another one. Just you, you, you just never know, um, you know, because you're putting a schedule together so early in the in the year or or during the seventeen eighteen season and and all that, and trying to find games and you know. We, we knew the situation we were in and we just couldn't do much about it. Yeah. So um, you don't know how everybody's going to be with recruiting or anything like that and or where they're going to finish in, in the year before and where we're at. It, it was just to go play all the ranked teams we played on the road um, in a short amount of time. It, it is just it's great for our, our players, um, our, our institution. And then to take that long break, like you said, uh, I mean, we had three games there before the conference tournament up in New York, and and we tried to do as much as we could to make sure that we were in game mode. Uh-huh. Uh, but I don't think we were really in game mode at all uh, because of the break and just practicing and doing stuff. But I think in the tournament, trying got us going again, uh, being uh-huh. down and, and sure. trying to be able to compete. And, you know, at the end of the day, we, we finished – at the time we played 12 teams, they were ranked out of our 33 wins. Yeah. And five of those – five of five of them were in the NCAA tournament in the last uh, five rounds. And, I mean, it's just nobody else does that. Yep. And uh, we, we were very fortunate and very blessed to be able to be in this situation, and, and a lot of credit goes to our players. We'll talk more about the championship in a bit, but I do want to dive into the schedule more. We talked a little bit about it last time we had you on the show, um, but I feel like now we can truly dive in and talk about the fact that, you know, you and I had a conversation off air um, about scheduling. You knew the talent you had come coming back, and you knew you needed to do your best to position yourself, not only for a pool B bid, but I got the sense that you knew you needed to position yourself from home games, possibly in the tournament. You didn't want to just go out there and make sure you got a pool B bid. You wanted to go out there and position yourself as best you could for the bracket. Is that a fair way of saying that? Yeah. Uh, because you want to be a home in the NCAA. Um, you know, actually, this year, I don't know. I might have rather been on the road with uh, how used to and how, <laughs> how how well we played when we were sure. on the road. But, um, I mean, you want to be here because of the fans and the crowd that we were able to get when that time came in March. It, it was tremendous. But, uh, number one, knowing that the Atlantic East Conference yeah. was not going to have an AQ and they were going to be in that Pool B mix as well, we had to make sure we put ourselves in a position strength of schedule-wise but then you also have to go win them, and I didn't know. You you never know because expectations are, mm-hmm. are where they're at for us as always. But also you just injuries. I mean, you never know yeah. what's going to happen. You never know um, what's going to happen throughout the year. And then we start the year with out Michaela Ware, 
back in in the lineup coming off an injury. She had to have surgery again, and Emily Schultz had a, a little um, bang-up bang job in practice one time, and mm-hmm. so she missed the first game as well. So you, you're just nervous. You never know how it's going to go. But, I mean, we put it together so that we were in position to be able to host, um, to try to be number one in the region. You know, or if we weren't, then we're going to be in the top two or three to where we, we can maybe get a couple games at home. Um, but that's the thing. You do that, and like I said, you have to go win them. Yeah, and, right. and our guys were able to do that. Um, night in, night out, and and that it's led us to this. You played six games in the opening fourteen days, and and so that certainly is tough. And Maryville was in there, and you had a couple other interesting opponents, like Wheaton. Certainly, right out of the gate was a tough opponent. And you guys sent mm-hmm. sent a message with a seventy one forty nine win, but really the quote unquote insanity started on December first. Uh, when you played Whitewater, then two days at Whitewater, two days later Chicago, two days later at Marietta, two days later you're out on the West Coast in the Northwest corner playing Whitworth and then Whitman, then you're coming back to Michigan playing Baldwin Wallace and Hope, then playing uh, Wesleyan uh, and Calou in Florida, and then of course you went out to Indiana and then to, at DePaul to play two games, and then you played center, and then you threw in a couple non D threes and. You finish a month off there where you played the vast majority of your games by heading down to Texas for a couple of games. I know we we brushed on this briefly, but how how did you keep the team focused during that period of time, and how much did that month maybe maybe prepare you for what you had to do in March? The focus was easy um, because we talked about it from the time we started October 15th of you can't have lit-ups. We don't have – we're not in any position to be in an automatic qualifying conference. We're not there. Uh, that's the story of the season. That's, a, that's the hand we're dealt with. So you have to be prepared from a mental standpoint, a physical standpoint, an emotional standpoint to be able to go perform every single night. Um, and practices up until then, because we didn't practice in December. Uh, we rarely practiced through January because of just all the games. Sure. Um, so October, November, those three or four weeks, or those four or five weeks, we were – we challenged them every single day and try to put them through that that rigor so that we were prepared to go to all those places um, and, and be able to compete at a high level. And so, I don't know. It's it's a credit to, to the character and and who we are, who our players are here, and how they're going to be in the future of going out and they're going to be able to handle any obstacle that's thrown in front of them uh, when they graduate from Thomas More and, and go into their future career. And it's that's why it's special. Um, and Dave, I'm not going to lie to you. I forget the second part. What was the second part of the question? Well, I just how much did it, it's okay. I, I get it. How much did that do you think prepare you for March? Oh, a ton. Um, I mean, look you know, you look at us and compared to everybody else. Uh, we we played what well, we play 18 road games or yeah. neutral site games in a regular season. And again, eight of those, eight or nine of those were ranked teams. Eight of those, I think, were ranked teams. Um, seven, something like that, maybe. But um, you know, so. We had to come together. We had to have a chemistry. Uh, we had to be on the same page at all times. And so it prepared us because we, we'd seen everything. I mean, we'd seen every type of defense possible. We'd seen every type of offense possible. Um, you know, we playing everybody. I think the only team I, – no, I can't even say we didn't play the Northeast region because we played Wesleyan down in Florida. <laughs> right, there um, you go. Uh, I mean, I think we played every region possibly. Maybe, maybe a mid-Atlantic team or an Atlantic team we did not play. Um, I mean, we we covered them all, and so we've seen every style. And our guys just—they never wavered when we got to the tournament, and they knew. I mean, 
we were down against trying. We were had a tough opponent in Transy that the light that can score the basketball, and then you have Washu the next night who is, has six seniors, and you know, like I think we talked about before, is they're not they didn't want to lose, and you know, they we were down one at, at the end of the third quarter there, so we had been through all those situations to where we were prepared, and, and I think that helped us when we got to Salem and get to the Final Four. Uh, Scranton made a run, you know, and then playing Bowden the next night, we. We've been there, done that, and that's the experience that you have to have going into it. Um, you know, so I was, I was happy with how it worked out. Interesting enough, uh, 16 games in 35 days, which averages a game every 2.4 days, and you played all but two regions, best I can tell. You didn't play the Atlantic and you didn't play the East. Uh, otherwise, you, you covered everybody else uh, in that group, and actually, actually, you did play the East because you played Alfred State. So, yeah, Atlantic's the only region you didn't touch. Um Mike, before we get to the championship, one more question about the schedule. After that 16 and 38 days, you then played five games in seven weeks. How how do you manage that? How do you give them the time off without the rust coming in? I know you said the ACAA tournament, you guys probably weren't totally in game mode, and, and it may be good that you were heads and shoulders the best team there, but how do you get through seven weeks without it just completely falling apart? Uh, a lot of it's luck in practice, you know, with no injuries. Um, so you got to be lucky with that part of it because that's how you have to make a run, anyways. Mm-hmm. And then the other, the other, just you got to push them, uh, and we did. And but you had to be fair to them and give them time because mm-hmm. after when we got back from Dallas, we were exhausted. I know I was exhausted. I mean, sure. I went home and slept. I went home and slept. I mean that uh, you can ask, when you start talking to coaches again for next year, just or even now, if you reach out to them, see if they want to do our schedule. You know, and see what they say. Um, I don't think anybody wants to. No. I don't want to do it again. I know that. I've lived it once. That's once is enough. Sure. That's off the bucket. That's off the bucket list. Um, you know, so it's just the, trying to keep them in game mode. Um, trying to, we try to tr- treat like Wednesdays and Saturdays as, as game days as much as possible mm. within our team and do a bunch of inter squad scrimmages just so they could have that feel that hey, hey, we're still playing games. You mm. know, hey, this is it's still game day and we're not grinding in here for for two hours in a, in a practice. We're, we're actually getting to have some fun. We're getting able to play. And, you know, there may have been a couple extra days off here and there just to, to rest some legs and, and make sure that we were fresh for the run in March. Uh, one more question about the schedule. So I lied. Um, how much was that schedule put together? And we talked about obviously you want to be in the best position possible, but you didn't have to go that, you know, in-depth or, or that crazy. But how much was it because you have four seniors and you want to get a national championship for those four seniors? Or how much was it because you're leaving Division Three? Um, I don't, that's a good question because I don't even know. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, it's just how we can play. It's who we can play and, and fit in their schedule. I mean, we gotcha. were on their, we were on their their time frame. Right. You know, that's that's the thing. All Here's the my opening. Are, can you fit it? What's that? Here's my opening. Can you fit in? I yeah. mean, that was probably what you were dealing with most of the time. Yeah, and that's how that's how it was with a couple of them, um, and that's and I, I said sure we'll make it work um, because again it, trying to put yourself in position and, and then the other thing is just trying to get twenty five games right uh, you know and as many of them to be division three as possible and we still ended up with only twenty one division three games in the regular right. season right um, it, because it's, that's the nature of the beast and and we're in a tough situation for finding games just like. A lot of other schools that are a lot of other coaches are in, in tough situations for finding games, and um, you know so 
at some point in time, and, and I've never shied away from playing anybody or putting our, our team in that situation. I mean, we'll, we wanted to play the best, and, you know, part of going down to Dallas was at the Final Four last year talking to Polly and saying, hey, I, you know, you have an opening, and she said yes, and it was one of those things of, can you help me get another game while I'm down there? And that's how we got hooked up with uh, Coach Moorefield at Mary Harden Baylor, and that's how that worked out, you know. So, and the same thing kind of happened with the Chicago Whitewater. We'd already talked to Whitewater about a game, and um, and it was one of those things of can we get a second game while we're up there to make it worth the trip, and that, that's how we try to treat most of it is to go try to get two two games out of one trip as much as possible to save on the budget as much as we could. Um, that way, and it was just not a seven and a half hour drive to Whitewater for one game and turn around and come back. There's no no secret you guys are one of the top teams in Division Three. It's no secret you were leaving Division Three after this year. What does it mean to you that coaches were willing to play you, granted maybe at their place, but still willing to play you, or in Polly's case, willing to find another coach to make the most of that weekend for you guys? What does that mean to you? Because to be honest, Jeff, I could see a lot of coaches going, I, I don't care about you guys. I'm not helping you. Um, I mean, for those that did and those that reached out, it meant a lot uh, because – I mean, it's still, I mean, we're not at UT Dallas. We're not there, but still from a coaching fraternity, uh, sorority, it's still a family setting. I mean, you want to you want to see each other do well and you want to compete. And, yeah. and um, you know, but at the end of the day, it's we all have the same struggles as coaches. We all have the same joys as coaches uh, with our with our, our student athletes and, and their uh, tough times and they're good times, you know, ups and downs. So, you know, we're all going through the same stuff. So those guys, I mean, the coaches and the teams that we played against, you know, I, I can't thank them enough. And I tried to do that when we were there, you know, with them, just say thank you, appreciate you for having us down. Um, because there's a lot of people that didn't that did not say yes, even if we offered to come to them. Um, there, you know, it's just it's part of it, and I understand it. You know, I know, I know that situation. So, we uh, were thankful and and happy we were able to play. I mean, I think we made some uh, new relationships that we didn't have just by going to places and being able to shoot around and and talk to coaches for a little bit longer than than maybe before. I mean, I've talked, I've never talked to Coach uh, Morefield at Mary Harden Baylor. You know, and now he and I talk regularly. You know, once or twice a week or once every couple weeks. So, you know, I think that's that's what it's about. Once again, talking to Thomas Moore, head coach Jeff Hands of the women's basketball program. Okay, so we haven't talked about the championship yet. I apologize. There's so much to talk about when it comes to the Saints. When we come back, I promise, we talk championship. We talk about what this title means. We also talk about the evolution of Madison Temple and her teammates. And again, what it means to leave Division Three as the champs. You're listening to the Hoops Hole Season Finale Podcast, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More with Jeff Hands when we get back. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, home of Blue Gold Athletics. 
UW-Eau Claire has been ranked a top five regional public university for over 20 years. We graduate champions with the lowest debt and highest return on investment in the Midwest. Blue Gold Athletics is a Director's Cup Top 20 Division III program offering 22 sports with almost 700 student-athletes. UW-Eau Claire is about excellence in the classroom, the field of competition, and the community. Are you the next Blue Gold? I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go into personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. Welcome back to the Hoopsville Season Finale podcast presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. If you're just tuning in somehow, yeah, no video. We're doing this all by audio with this show. More on that at the end of the broadcast. I'm Dave McHugh, and thanks for taking the time to join us. We're in the middle of talking with Jeff Hands, a head coach of the Thomas More Women's Basketball Program. Our first segment was filled with a lot of stuff, but not about the championship necessarily. I apologize, but just some great stuff to talk with Jeff about. Now we'll focus on that championship, the evolution of Madison Temple and her teammates, and of course, the idea and the fact and the reality that they are leaving Division Three as national champs. All right, let's get to the championship. I've uh, stalled off on that enough here. Uh, great weekend, obviously, in uh, Salem, Virginia at Roanoke College, and it was, as it has been in women's basketball for several years now, it's always the best of the best. You guys had a first game against Scranton and then your second game against Bowdoin. Scranton made a game of it against you guys. You, you, yeah, that was, I mean, and like a lot of the games you had had, Trine and Wash U are two big examples. You didn't have it easy. I didn't think you expected to have it easy. What you, would you think of that, that game against the Royals? I thought it was two very good basketball teams playing. Um, you know, different styles for sure with how they defend you. I mean, they're very physical with you defensively, and they pride themselves on that. Um, but we were able to make enough plays offensively to get the lead early on, and then, you know, they just they kept making shots. They kept making plays. They, they never quit. Um, got it back, got it, tied it up, and then we were able to make another run. And that, that, that's what that game was. That, you know, everybody talks about basketball being a game of runs. They need to go watch Thomas Ward versus Scranton because we're on a 9-0 run. Coach Woodruff calls timeout. They go on a run, and we go on a run again. You know, so it, it was just a battle back and forth. And you know, they they're good. Man, Bridget Mann is a very nice player. We were able to control her a little bit, I think, with our size and, and our length um, to contest a lot of shots. You know, and so she didn't have the greatest night for her offensively, but she, you know, she did some things defensively that, that sparked them a little bit. And then Mason is, is such a good player, and she's going to be good for them uh, next year as a senior. Yeah, that's the truth. How much, though, was also this Madison Temple saying enough? I mean, we've seen it a few times this season, especially in the NCAA tournament, where she just seems to put her foot down. She seems to get her team involved or try to get her team involved, and then there's always seems to be this moment where she just says, nope, nope, no, we're done with this. <laughs> I'm taking over. Yeah, I think uh, that happened Friday night, uh, and, and that's just like we've seen um, in the other games. And, and it's, not always, it's more scoring. You know, she'll have some assists early on and, and a few points, but then all of a sudden it's she's attacking, getting to the free throw line. And I think that was the biggest thing Friday night was she was able to get the free throw line, get a little rhythm, because uh, she missed some jump shots early on. 
and now she's able to get has that feel and, and know those shots come a little bit easier, and also because everybody else is scoring. You know, Emily Schultz is making some jump shots. Uh, Kayla Sainer hit a, a couple threes. You know, so they can't concentrate on Madison as much. So it loosens things up for her, and now she's able to drive. And, and uh, the biggest play was her driving and being able to find, I don't remember, I think it was Rupp for a layup, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really start to put a little separation uh, between us and Scranton at that point in time. Of course, you move on, you end up taking on Bowden. And I found interesting with this one was, of course, Bowden's been in, the, in this situation before last year. You have a, a really good coach. You have a defensive-minded team. The NESCAC tend to be a little bit more defensive-minded, and you still put up 81 points on them in a game that, again, was back and forth for a little bit, but you guys seemed to control it when you needed to. Yeah, you know, I watched Bowden play over the year, um, of course, the year a little bit just because of us being off in January and February. Right. Um, <laughs> so I was able to sit back and watch them a lot, watch, watch you whenever you get me play, you know, some of the teams and that potentially we could see because we're not – practice is done on the Saturday, so we're able to watch them Saturday afternoon or, you know, some of those guys play on Sunday. And, um, you know, so we're able to watch Bowden a little bit and just – I know Adrian real well. Uh, spent some time with her last year um, over nearly with the Beyond trip that we did. And, and um, great lady, great coach, great program. And it's just we were able to do some things, mix up some defensive assignments and change the tempo a little bit in the second quarter that I think threw them off. And that's when we were able to get the lead and, and really take control in the third quarter by just changing things up because they're fast. Um, Taylor Choate, I, I don't know if she runs track or not, but she should. Um, <laughs> uh, for those guys, I, I didn't look that far into it. But, uh, you know, preparing for that Friday night, uh, the stats were so similar. Um, between the two of us, you know, so you knew it was going to be a, a, a grinded out game and, and we were able to do the things that we needed to. And, it, and again, it was a total team effort. I mean, I, all, all five of our starters were in double figures. Um, you know, we knew that they're going to take Madison away from handling a basketball because of their speed and, and how they can def- extend the defense uh, to the full court, put pressure on you. And to our credit, and especially Kayla Saner and Brianna McNutt of handling handling the pressure and getting us in offense and getting us in position where we can make some plays and, and run some things, um, it was a team effort by far. And then Shelby Rupp getting a double-double senior year, last game possible in the national championship. Uh, I could not have asked for anything better for her. Of course, win the championship, second time in four years. By the way, quick note on Bowden's choke, quick look on the Internet. I did not see her listed on the roster for track and field. Uh, good, good call though. I like that. Um, so second, again, second championship in four years, most importantly, you know, a championship, the senior year for this senior class. And what has that, what's this class meant to this team? Cause I feel like this is the unsung class. We all heard about Sydney Moss. We all heard about the other players who kind of help you guys take the evolutionary step forward. You were always a you were a good team for a long time. Now you're a championship team. This senior class feels like the senior class that's bridging that gap and continuing it on without a, as much fanfare f- for the years leading up. Yeah, it's uh, it's I don't even know. You know, I get uh, you talk about these guys just like you talk about any seniors, um, any group of seniors that you have that have been with you for four years, and where this this group has come because that 2016 team Madison was really the only one that played. I mean, she started, mm-hmm. um, played right. significant minutes. Uh, Michaela Ware came off the bench, uh, to spell Abby Owings at the point, you know, but right. so she probably played 
15 minutes a game, if that, um, that freshman year. And Kelly Clapper and Shelby Rupp did not play. You know, so they were they were absorbing everything. And now for them to be the leaders in their growth that they've had over the last three years to to carry the team and put the team on their back and, and do the things they've done, not only on the court but off the court is, uh, with the leadership and keeping everybody un- under control and calm in that situation because they've been there, um, it just says a lot about them. And it says a lot about where we are as a program because that's, you know, you're right, there is no Sydney Moss there's no Division One transfers on this one like there was previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all it's all Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky players. Right. Um, everybody from this area. Kelly Clapper's the farthest one out. She's two and a half hours from up by Columbus, Ohio, Newark, High, Newark uh, Catholic High School. You know, so it's everybody from here in Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, and that's tells you how how good the, the basketball is in this area. Uh, Madison Temple. Finishes her career with 2,184 points, which is best all-time in Saints record book history, only because I I, I don't know where Sydney, with that one vacated season, finished necessarily, though she's probably rivaling. She's um, uh, I think she's over just over twenty two hundred. So okay, so I mean, she Madison, technically be right behind her. Yeah, right behind her. But that's still that's sig- close. I mean, that's still significant. I mean, that's what Madison Temple has done to, to score twenty one hundred and eighty four points in her career, and she's only. Behind Sydney Moss, if you consider that vacated season on top of that, that's an ins- an outstanding career for Madison Temple. What did, what did she mean to this program? Uh, don't forget about the all time leading her assist. Yeah, true. Um, almost six hundred, I think, almost six hundred assists in her career. Um, you know, and, and then the shooting percentage and how how efficient she was uh, with that, and then she led us in rebounding the last two years also. <laughs> Yeah, by the way. Uh, so just, just to throw some other numbers out there. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, what does she mean? She means a lot. Um, you know, and that's what I think our, our players like playing. I don't, they're not like. I think they love playing with her because it's not about her. And that's, and that's I think she got that before she was here at Thomas More. Um, but that's how Sydney was as well. Yeah. And that's uh, she played with her as a freshman. And, and, you know, I think she just kind of sat back. And, and she'll tell you, I just – because we talked about it, you know, freshman year she shot a bunch of threes, and then as time came along, and I remember sophomore year, maybe even junior year, like, you know, you need to attack a bat. You what? You know, you're shooting threes, but attack the basket more, blah blah. You know, all that sure. stuff. And and I said, why didn't why didn't you attack more last year as a freshman? And you know, and or two years ago as a freshman, and she was just like, didn't have to. You mm. know, you had Sydney, you had Abby, you had Nikki inside, Nikki Kiernan inside, and she goes, my job was to do this. Now my job is to attack and do more and, and mix, in, mix in a perimeter jump shot. So, you know, she's a smart player, and I think everybody likes playing with her because they know they're going to get their opportunity as well, and she's not selfish with the basketball. I mean, almost 600 assists in four years will tell you that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and she sees the floor so well and can put, put the ball right where you need to score. Um, you know, you don't, need, you don't need a couple extra seconds to catch it at your knees or at your, uh, above your head or anything. She usually puts it right in your hands where, you, where you're able to catch and finish. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's important. And that's what we, that's how she's going to leave this place. I mean, you know, two championships and then another final four in, in her four years with, with her senior classmates and teammates is, it's, uh, it's a tremendous honor. It finishes her career with about four to five assists per game 
I might be a little off, maybe closer to four assists per game. And it's just outstanding, obviously, because the ball wasn't always in her hands, especially early on, as you pointed out. Um, I, I think it's safe to say I can, I can kind of paraphrase my colleague Gordon Mann and something he kind of shared with us. And he said, you know, Jeff Hands is the coach of the year because this felt like the season that the yeah buts were removed. You know, they're undefeated. Well, yeah, but they, they play in the PAC. Well, they're a national contender. Yeah, but they got Sidney Moss. Listen, you guys were a good team before Sidney Moss came along, if anyone doesn't remember that. But this season feels like it put the stamp on Thomas Moore women's basketball as just being a darn good program because you don't have all those yeah buts. You guys did it the hard way to some degree. Is that a is that how you guys feel about it? Yeah. Yeah. Um it it was difficult. It was extremely difficult. Um but I think that is the competition. You know, you just you want to compete. I mean, and, and it's not all about wins and losses. It's about the experience and being able to travel some of the cities and, and do that um was tremendous. But but here's another one of your butts. Mm-hmm. Um uh, but to go through it and, and the way we went through it and the results we came away with, I, I hope I hope that um, people see it as, as one of the best seasons ever. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, if, if somebody else wants to do it, I can tell you how to go schedule. I can tell you who to call, um, and I don't think you want to do it. But uh, <laughs> um, it's just from a budget standpoint, just from a time standpoint, health, health, personal health. Um, it, but it's very, it, to be able to, to sit here and talk to you today because of winning the championship, I, even if we, I wasn't talking to you, Dave, it, it would be the same thing. Sure. I'd be saying the same thing. I mean, if Bowden had won Saturday night, um, because, and I'd still be proud of our guys because of everything I put them through to do it. You know, it's, I mean, it, I told them multiple times, I'd, I took you there and back, um, yeah. and you know what I'm talking about. I just I don't want to say it on air, but uh, you know it, it's just we we had to. I mean that was that was our only option. I mean sure. we couldn't go play 20 games, and so but yeah, with no no Sydney. And I, I don't know if you saw Adam Tour's article that came mm-hmm. out um, in the paper here recently about us and having the comments from Sydney Moss and yeah. and Madison about that's what's going to carry us on for the future years because that's what. These seniors, that's what the, the seniors before them have started, and that's what we're proud of. Sure. Yeah, I did see Adam's article in the local paper. He, of course, wrote one for us at D3 Hoops, but the local article takes a different turn, and it's a great article if anybody can find it. We've tweeted it out on <clears throat> several occasions, I believe. Um, bittersweet, though, too, because you guys now leave Division Three, head to the NAIA, and uh, we don't have to get into the politics of it all, but certainly maybe not necessarily because it was your choice. You personally, though, do you are are you looking forward to that opportunity? Do you wish you were still going to stay in D three? I wish we were still D- Division three. I mean, I'm a Division three guy. I went to Wilmington right. yeah. for four years. And I've uh, coached at Wilmington after that. Um, you know, my wife played at Wilmington College for Coach Chevy. Um, you know, been here for eight years now. You know, yeah, I, I would love to, but we're just in a situation where it, it's not feasible. Yeah. And for various reasons. So uh, for us, it, and going to a place that, that wants us in the Mid-South Conference, in NAI, NAI um, I mean, we have to. We have right. to make that move. Because, uh, again, I don't know if I could go find 25 games. Sure. Um, or, yeah. or, spend, or spend the budget money that we had to spend to, to do it. 
um, because it's just it was it was <laughs> difficult. Um, and so, I mean, we're it's bittersweet. You know, I, I'm gonna miss talking to you guys. <laughs> told Gordon, told Gordon that you know up there down there in Salem, it's you know because that's you guys do such a great job with with Hoopsville and and all the coverage that that you give all the programs across the country and the student athletes. It, it's tremendous, and um, you know we're gonna miss that. Yeah, it's gonna be a little different. We don't. I don't even know the landscape of NAI. I can't. I can't retain all that information. Yeah, you got enough with Division Three. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, some people ask me D two questions. I'm like, nope, nope, no. I don't have. <laughs> I don't have the brain power to handle that too. Um, so I, I don't know the world you're entering necessarily. Uh, I just know it's different than this world, and and I know the reasons behind it. And again, we don't need to get into the politics of it all, but it's bittersweet. I know to be taking the uh, the title out, but what is the emotions of taking the title with you in your final season? You know, it's that was part of it. Um, I think more for our our players. They we got there last year, and the fresh and our seniors had that taste as, as freshmen and winning it then. Um, you know, and you get back there last year as, as juniors, and and you know the our current juniors as sophomores, and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And you know, it, whether it's the last one or whether we were staying, I mean, we, we would have competed the same way. Oh, sure. And try to try to keep on um, because. That's I've got a, just like a lot of other coaches and, and programs out there. We we have a great group of competitors, um, you know, and, and great group of young ladies. They're great role models for a lot of a lot of little kids, and so they're gonna they're gonna do their best, whether it's on a cl- in a classroom or on the court. And um, you know, I I wish we could stay and try to defend it, but we're just not in that situation. And uh, so to, to make sure we wanted to make sure that we had an opportunity, whether we did or didn't finish the job, you know, we wanted to have that opportunity to be playing in the last game and, and we were able to, to play in the last game and we were fortunate enough to win the last game. Sure. Well, I appreciate the time and I appreciate the conversation and uh, good luck with your futures. I'd love to say, uh, look forward to seeing Tom, Saint, uh, Thomas Moore back in Division Three, but we all know that may be a little bit more difficult, but thank you for the time. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Uh, congratulations on the championship, as we said. And as always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts to those tuned in? Uh, just like I said earlier, and like I've said probably many times talking to you over the last eight years, David, thank you, you know, from Thomas Moore and college slash university um, when we were <laughs> college. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the coverage, the – the time, the the heart that you guys, and I'm saying you guys, I'm going to miss some names when I say stuff, so I don't want to call sure. everybody out. But uh, you know, Pat and Gordon, you know, Ryan Scott, uh, Adam, who does a lot of writing, and again, there's other writers and people that contribute that I don't have any idea of. Um, I read their articles, but I don't have any idea who they are. Sure. Um, you know, they just thank you. Uh, that's all I can say. I mean, that's I don't know if there's any more, and you know, it's. Uh, we wish we were staying and, and wish we had that opportunity to continue to talk with you. So if you ever need anything, let us know. Well, I appreciate that. I hope our paths cl- cross for many reasons. Good luck in the future. Look forward. I'll, I'll watch the team for sure from afar. I'll be curious how you guys are doing. And uh, I'll look forward to some time talking to you down the road. Take care and congratulations once again. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. He is Jeff Hans joining us from Thomas Moore, the champions of 2019 here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Once again, thanks to Jeff Hands from Thomas Moore for joining us on the show. I appreciate it. All interviews on Hoopsville Hotline, courtesy of our partners at Blue Frame Technology. 
and their industry-leading production truck software. Is your college ready to showcase its teams through a reliable and innovative video streaming service that won't break your budget? Blueframe's advanced digital broadcast tools will help take your broadcast to the next level. Learn more today by visiting www.blueframetech.com. That's blueframetech.com. And make sure you tell them I sent you their way, or maybe just mention the show, Hoopsville. Before we wrap up the Thomas More segment, we should at least talk about the Saints leaving Division Three. I know a few people have expressed concerns or dis- disappointment that the Saints were allowed to participate in the NCAA tournament, considering they're leaving for the NAIA la- next year. Of course, some cite the rules in Division Three, really the NCAA, about if you're transferring into Division Three or out to Division Two, and what those rules restrict as it were. And I I get all that, but those are NCAA rules. Those are rules in place to keep schools from just hopscotching around in different divisions for whatever reason. And there's good reasons for those rules. There's also rules for entering the NCAA for good reason. The NCAA wants to make sure schools are up to par. I, I don't necessarily think we should have those rules in place for when a school departs the NCAA. If you're arguing that they've got an unfair advantage, can hand out uh, scholarships or whatever because they're going to the NAIA, let's keep in mind two simple facts. One, especially with Thomas More's case, all the players that were instrumental in that championship run are seniors and juniors. They've been there forever. They they attended that school with absolutely no idea that it would eventually be headed to NAIA, and they certainly weren't promised any scholarships as a result of that. And let's remember the second part. If they were given scholarships right now, then that's a violation a major violation, and yes, we've been down this road with Thomas More for other reasons, but they would have their their title vacated, and I think for them that would leave yet another stain on an entire program. That doesn't make any sense from an internal point of view. Furthermore, the president, who one could argue helped push a lot of that uh, mentality, has already left and gone to Miami where he's already making waves Listen, the the Sydney Moss case was unfortunate. I, I think in the Sydney Moss case, it came down to a combination of a school that certainly pushed the envelope quite a bit and, and maybe wasn't up to par with um, compliance as much as they should have been. And we can dive into that another time if you really want to with an honest mistake. I think the assistant coach and coach, especially Jeff Hands, made an honest mistake when it came to Sydney Moss. I think they were doing right by her didn't want to see her in the situation she was in and wanted to do better by her as a student. Remember, this was well after they had already acquired her from, you know, acquired her, I should say, from Division One. I, I just didn't see that. Yes, it's a, it's a major violation, and they got ha- heavily handed, which is interesting in the stark contrast to Stevens Point. Granted, much of the committee had changed. I'd be interested to see how Stevens Point might have been handled had the committee that handed out the Thomas Moores violations actually been in charge of the Stevens Point ones as well, which they were not three and a half years later. They were not this much of the same committee not there. So I know it looks weird, but here's the deal. Thomas More didn't have to announce that they were leaving Division Three when they did. We know that they had shown signs of going to the NAIA two years in advance, and I think that was their effort to say to others, listen, we don't want to leave Division Three. We have an option, but could we'd like to find a conference to find a home here. Um, the correct and incorrect reputation of Thomas More, or reputations maybe is a better word, was then um, 
not helpful in getting them a home, either in the HCAC, even the MIAA, heck, the SLIAC. I mean, you name a conference even far away in the CAC, it just doesn't work for a lot of reasons. I think some of the reputation that they had, rightly or wrongly, hurt them. Uh, and, and being a behemoth doesn't help. And, and that's just the reality of things. There's a lot of behemoths in Division Three who do very well, especially privately, and they are in public too. And they just have a reputation that's right or wrong. And, and schools are rightly or wrongly scared of being associated with them, not because it's going to taint them, but because they can't compete against them. And, and that's what it really comes down to. So Thomas Moore's off to, to the NAI, and they could very well have just kept quiet, not said a word, maybe rumors leak out, but not said anything. And then come June said, oh, by the way, we're leaving for the NAIA. Goodbye. Or would we have pulled their, their trophies as a result of that? No. So I, I, I don't, listen, and maybe I'm being a little bit extreme here, but a lot of what I hear I think is jealousy-based. They, they have been a good program before Sidney Moss arrived on the scene, let's remember. Jeff Hands has done an incredible job with that women's basketball program. Not all the programs have had the same success. We barely talked about men's basketball the last few years. We certainly don't talk about other sports there as much. So I think sometimes one program speaks for the entire department and it all gets conflated. It's unfortunate they're leaving for the NAIA. They couldn't find a home, and being independent in their situation is just not feasible. They can't certainly put that kind of schedule together every year. There's just no physical way. There's no financial way they can do it. They're off the NAIA, and I think we heard from Jeff Hands that that will be missed, that them being in the division and in the NCA will be missed. And we will miss them to some degree as well. Um I would love to tell you Thomas Moore is coming back at some point. I don't have any hopes of that unless something drastically changes in that region. But for that, we're going to have to wait. But congratulations to Thomas Moore on their championship. Hats off to them, and good luck in the NAIA. And yeah, as Gordon said, I'll be keeping an eye on the Saints. I'll be curious how it all translates, though losing one of the best players in Division Three history in Madison Temple will be tough. When we come back... When we come back, we'll wrap up the season interview-wise the same way we kind of started it, talking about Jim Calhoun. More about why we found this so fascinating, but two producers from ESPN join us about the Calhoun Project, how you can still see it, and why it gives you a fascinating in-depth point of view of not only Jim Calhoun, but a first-year Division Three program. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA NABC Studios. The season finale podcast continues after this. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. My name is Marcus Walker. 
I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Welcome back to the Hoopsville season finale presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. Of course, I am your host, Dave McHugh. Appreciate you taking the time on this super-duper version of a podcast. Unfortunately, not a live show, but I appreciate you tuning in. Nonetheless, hope you're learning something. So at the beginning of the season, we talked to Jim Calhoun, Hall of Fame basketball coach who had taken over and started the St. Joseph's of Connecticut men's basketball program heading into their first ever season. And then we watched, and they started off well, had their bumps in the road, but then got themselves kind of righted, as it were, and had a tremendous run in the GNAC tournament, nearly making the NCAA tournament the very first season they existed. Well, ESPN was also following along. It was one of those interesting scenarios where it was Jim Calhoun, after all, but it was also Division Three basketball. So they put together what's called the Calhoun Project, and I'll admit, I was a little trepidatious. How was Division Three going to be shown? In what light and how? what tactic would they take with what is an E60 multi-part series? Well, I've watched the first few series, three of the four, and I'm actually pretty impressed. It takes you right inside and gets you a sense of what's going on in the locker rooms, both in practice and in before and during and after games takes us to the practices, also gives us a lot of information about Jim Calhoun, including the fact that he had had a lot of his stomach removed shortly before the season officially began, right around the time that practices were beginning. It's something we didn't even know because they kept it secret, and we talked to Jim Calhoun right before the season started. Not a word from him about it all. He was battling stage four cancer, and, well, we'll let the series talk more for that. But I was curious about why this project and why Division Three, and more importantly, what about Division Three? So I got a chance to sit down with the producers who put this all together. Now joining me on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is the producers of the Calhoun Project, Dan Lindbergh and John Minton from ESPN. Gentlemen, thanks for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, the pleasure's all ours. We can't thank you enough. We are... Uh... Huge fans of the D3 movement as of this past season, and so we're excited to be talking to, uh, to, to the folks who are as passionate about it as, as we are now. Ter- terrific. We will talk about where you learned that passion and all that coming up. Uh, first and foremost, it's interesting. I watch E60 often. It's nice 20, maybe 40-minute pieces, uh, almost 60 minutes-esque, if anybody's familiar with the CBS news genre. That said, I was very surprised when this came out as a four-part series. I'm curious, when did this become a bigger project than you intended it to be? Uh, well, I think our management team had that same reaction when we pitched it to them. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, they were very incredibly open to letting us try it. Um, and kind of this is our first foray um, into this. Uh, as a show. So, um, you know, we were kind of going in thinking we want to tell a good story here because um, ultimately that's all we're doing. Uh, we just figured that this one could maybe be, you know, four parts 
and um, we really didn't know. We were going to kind of see what we had, and um, as the season unfolded, we realized we had something pretty special. At least we thought we did. You know, as Dan is saying here, Dave, uh, what, what really enabled us to think bigger than the norm for us was the proximity of the story to Bristol, Connecticut, which is where ESPN is located. Uh, St. Joe's being a, a small university in West Hartford is only about 15, 20 minutes away. And so it really gave us the flexibility to, to film a lot more often than perhaps we, we normally would or, or, or could in other stories. And so with, with the story being as interesting as it is and as it was when it, when it came about, um, the ability for us to be able to, to be as accessible to it as we are enabled us to pitch to our bosses, as Dan said, to, to do an episodic. And it really was our vision from, from the jump was, hey, let's embed ourselves with this university who previously didn't have a single, single man on campus and, and, and just go through the process of building a program from scratch with a Hall of Fame coach building it. And it was just uh, it was a big, big picture idea in the beginning. And we were happy to say that with the school's cooperation and, um, and interest that we've, we've been able to, to take this journey with them. The rumors that Calhoun was going to be involved with this project were around for a good year before he officially signed on the dotted line, as it were, and made it official. And, you know, those of us in Division Three were skeptical. Okay, is he? Is he not? Is this a, is it a gamut? Is this a, is this a rouge? Is this, you know, just a, hey, look at us, and then it doesn't really happen type thing. When did you guys start hearing about it? And when did you realize, no, this is real, and we're going to chase it? Uh, we first pitched um, University of St. Joe's uh, right before Thanksgiving in 20, was it 17? Two years ago. Yeah, 2017, okay. um, with this idea. And, um, you know, they, they had a lot they, they had a lot going on. They had a lot to figure out. <laughs> Obviously, this was, a, this was a big piece. Um, so it took a lot of time, and uh, I think as everybody's aware at this point, you know, Coach originally signed on as a consultant because he was still working at UConn, so he couldn't be the coach. They couldn't technically call him the coach. And I think with that came a lot of the questions of, is he actually going to coach? Is he, you know, just going to sign on and help recruit? Like, what was his role going to be? And I think the closer it got to the season, um, is kind of when it started to become more real. So they were just making sure, I think, that uh, all of their uh, T's were crossed and their I's were dotted, and that um, you know they were they were fully on board. But that said, when they when they did sign on that dotted line, as you said, um, they were all in, um, and they have been fantastic since that happened. Interestingly enough, you as you said, you really did in bed with this team. Uh, how much did you have to get Jim Calhoun on board with something like this? You know, Dave, when we, we met with Coach numerous times before we really started embedding and started filming. And the one point we kept coming back to with Coach, uh, when, when, he, when he did sign on with the school, he kept making mention of, of wanting to make a splash at the University of St. Joe's. And I remember having an early conversation with him, um, just kind of hammering home that point that, if he was looking to make a splash, that this this project of this nature really would would be able to do that. It would certainly put a, a magnifying glass on the school, on the program, um, on everything that everyone at the school is trying to accomplish. And and I think the idea of of putting a D three program on the map on a national stage so quickly 
was was of mutual interest certainly to to the school to coach and certainly of interest to us to be able to do it just with the the charm of what was happening we just felt like it would be a, a great story and i think the university felt like it would be a great opportunity to to help grow their their institution their program and their brand I'm certainly familiar with the change of a school from a single sex to a, a dual sex, obviously. Um, my alma mater did it. I came in about 10 years after that began. Uh, we've seen other schools in Division Three do this. Some want the fanfare, obviously, because they need the they need the enrollment. Some don't want to make a big deal about it because the alumni are ticked off. What did you find from the school, and what did you find from the reactions of this school making this decision? Was this something that was obvious that you guys were going to get as much as you needed, or were you going to get some resistance too? Uh, I think we found that, of course, you had people on both sides of the coin, but uh, the folks that we talked to, we found an overwhelming majority of the people that were in favor of it, um, and a lot of people who said that they actually thought it was late to the game. And uh, we had someone tell us, um, I think it was Sister Pat, uh, one of our favorite characters. <laughs> I think Sister, Sister Pat was the one that told us um, a lot of people that were upset with it were only upset that um, the incoming students wouldn't have the same experience that they had when they were there however many years ago. They weren't upset necessarily what's happening, just I think some people were upset that it was going to be different, but they really weren't upset with the change. Now, that said, I'm sure I, I can't speak to the folks that, um, you know, that, that, that were against it, but, um, you know, our story was basically like they made this decision, Jim Calhoun was coming, and that's kind of where uh, <laughs> our story started. And you're going to deal with it. Um, yeah, I can understand that entirely. It's certainly, I, uh, you're, I agree with you, Sister Pat is wonderful in your in your stories, um, I enjoyed getting her point of view, especially when she talked about Jim Calhoun's language. Um, great little uh, snippet there in in the first couple of, of episodes. When you guys started rolling with this, be honest with me. What were your premonitions, or what were your, or what did you come in already kind of thinking about Division Three or small college basketball, and what was immediately changed? You know we. We've done stories, certainly Dan and I personally have done stories at, at small-level schools, yeah. at high schools. So the, the idea of, of coming to just a smaller division to, to tell a story really wasn't foreign to us. Frankly, it's, it's probably more comfortable in a lot of ways than, than people may think. Um, but the, the contrast of this story was really what was of interest to us when you have a Hall of Fame coach like Jim Calhoun coming down to that D3 level that that initial charm and that contrast was was of note to us, but you know the the, the preconceived notions, if you will, you know you're walking into gyms that uh, you know people like myself and Dan remember playing in at our last levels that 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 come across more like high school sized gyms and uh, not overwhelming as far as uh, you know audiences are concerned and and crowds are concerned, but it, it also makes the the viewing experience especially with a, a Coach Calhoun-led team, just very, very informal, very casual, and, and the energy and the authenticity of the basketball game itself and of the coaching experience come through on such a heightened level, uh, given the casual nature of these arenas, that it was, really, uh, it was really unlike anything I had experienced before. And I'll say this, you know, the, the competition 
uh, despite the the division, is as fierce as it would be at any level mm-hmm. that we've covered in the past, and we've covered the highest levels. Uh, winning is important at every level. Attitude and effort don't change regardless of that, and that just became incredibly apparent every game that we went to throughout the entire course of the season. The, the passion was overwhelming. We obviously have one more episode to see as you and I are talking. We haven't seen the, f- the finale, the fourth episode of this, so we don't know necessarily w- what may be revealed, as it were, besides we all know how the season ended. Um, how much did did Calhoun change his mentality? I, I mean, he's a, a basketball coach, and I know they all know about the different, different divisions, but we are always – maybe not surprised at how much a D1 realizes what's different in a D3. It's not abnormal to see this happen. Did you see anything different with, with Calhoun during the year? Is this, is this evolved as he got fully immersed in division three? I think, well, well, first of all, for any, for any of your viewers uh, that are listening um, that might may have missed an episode or might want to catch one. um, If they go to the ESPN app Mm -hmm. um, and uh, find E60, the first three, chapters are all up there so anyone can go and uh catch up on anything that they may have missed um on any video on demand service um but i think coach what what i learned um about coach is he has a a method at which point in the season and how he talks to his guys at which point in the season and kind of how he evolves and how he changes late in the season we all know that coach has a propensity for getting his teams ready to play best when it matters most at the end of the year Mm -hmm. and you know we kind of learned how he did that and he kind of explained to us how his methods change how his check how his tactics change uh how he talks to his kids change and um you know i think as you mentioned kind of a lot of people know how the season ended he did it again this year he got his (laughs) team ready to be playing their best basketball when it mattered most you know the one thing i'd say to that too davis uh you know, coach, I think, has, has one way of coaching. And I think people have kind of had a, a treetop view of it over the last 26 years, uh, previously at UConn. And I myself was curious when he came to St. Joe's if, if he would be, you know, a, a kindler, gentler Jim Calhoun. And it became immediately apparent from the first game, the first half of the first game. He called the timeout 46 seconds in. He got his first technical of the season in the first half of the first game. Yes. And it just immediately answered the questions to us that regardless of his time away from the game, that his approach to coaching was absolutely going to remain the same. And despite not having Kemba Walker on his roster or Ray Allen, that that the kids that he did have, he was going to use the same tactics to get the most out of each of them as he had uh, over the course of his Hall of Fame career. And so so those questions were answered early, and then throughout the entire course of the season, we were along for the ride to see how Coach was, was going to get a group of 17 freshmen to gel at the right time and give this first-year program a chance to compete for a championship. Yeah, as we all watched, they nearly made the NCAA tournament, getting all the way to the GNAC championship game before falling to Albertus Magnus, which certainly lends an interest to what happens next year. Um Interestingly enough, you, you talked about that class, and you see to, you seem to run the gamut of, of student-athletes in Division Three. You've got this, the, the, the guy who wants to be a doctor or in science in some reason down the road, also plays basketball, finds St. Joe's the perfect little niche school for him. you got the D1 transfer who's got 
bigger dreams maybe and thinks maybe moving to another school is a better idea. You literally had everything in between there. Uh, what was it like to work with, with the team? Uh, the team was great. Uh, you know, we work with uh, a lot of professional athletes, Division One college athletes, and, you know, high school athletes, you know, kids kids in middle school. So, I mean, we, we, we cover the gamut on athletes, and I think that um, the kids, I think the kids on his team, it's obviously a reflection of the guy that recruited them, um, but really good, high-character kids. Uh, really classy. We're great to work with us. We're polite. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not easy having uh, cameras around for, mm. we, we weren't there for the whole, you know, for, for the whole season. We tried to pick our moments um, and it's certainly not easy, but uh, they were great. And uh, it was certainly a pleasure to work with them. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, go ahead. Did you have something else? No, I was just going to say, I second that. I mean, they're, they're, they were incredibly humble kids. Um, I think in, in comparison potentially to some sometimes um, athletes who are on the verge of, of playing professional basketball um, have, have a little bit more confidence, if you will. Mm. And, and, and sometimes there's, there's a little bit more uh, ego that can come along with, with dealing with the media. But I, I think the kids at St. Joseph's and I think the staff and everyone there were incredibly uh, open-minded to us and, and incredibly helpful I mean, there wasn't a day that, that Dan or I walked into the gym with our staff and we didn't get a handshake from every kid and every coach on that team. It was just, uh, it was really a, a, a sense of being welcomed every day that we were on campus. It's certainly an interesting point of view because we thought ourselves, you know, how much would that be a distraction? The lights, the cameras, as it were. Uh, you were immersed in the locker room. You're there at practices. You even got a chance to be at, at some of these guys' uh, jobs on campus. You're on the bus. Now, there's a lot of places you were that are kind of intimately a team's location. It's where the team gets to be itself without any out, anybody outside you know, being part of that. Did you find them, at least initially, a little bit you know, um, tempered? You know, it, not wanting to necessarily say what they would normally say? And when did they finally just ignore you guys? Um, well, you know, we... We were there from the very beginning, I think before the beginning, before the first practice we were around. So they saw us, you know, before the season even started. So everything was new to them. So we just tried to be just one of those new things um, that they just got used to. Um, and as far as Coach was concerned, before the first game, we met with him in his office and we just kind of laid out our plan, said we'd like to be in pregame locker room, halftime locker room, postgame. We'd like to be in the huddles with our boom mics and cameras and you know, we're going to stay away. We're going to give you your privacy. You have the right to, um, at any point, say not today, guys, uh, which happened a couple times. Um, but he agreed to it. And uh, to his credit, you know, when we go back to him being all in, uh, he was. And he stuck to it. And uh, kudos to him and kudos to his staff. But I think our goal was always to be there, but as with as small a footprint as possible. Um, and if we were there enough and they got us and they recognized us, um, that hopefully they would become comfortable with us and just kind of view us as, as part of the team. I, I, I can't necessarily speak to um, how that happened. That would be a question that I guess they would have to answer. But um, it certainly felt from our vantage point that um, we were uh, they, they certainly treated us with respect all season long. 
And um, we felt like at some times we just kind of blended in. I hope that was the case at least. You know, the one thing that Dan is saying here that I, I completely agree with, I agree a lot of what Dan says always, obviously, is, uh, you know, we were getting to know them as these kids were getting to know each other. And so there really wasn't a period of time where we weren't just part of this, this team's fabric, considering it was the first season that they got together. And as much as we were rolling and as much as we were recording, you know, our producers get hungry too. So we would, we would have meals at the cafeteria in and around the team. Uh, and we weren't always uh, the guys behind the camera. There were times we were just other guys uh, just, just hanging out on campus looking to get a cheeseburger. And so, uh, you know, we, just, we, we hope just to build relationships to do with these guys so that we can get familiar with their stories and their journeys in hopes that we can bring it to the viewers as, as authentically as we can. But we were just very fortunate with the timing of this story being what it was that we were able to get in on the ground floor as soon as we were. And I think that just paid off dividends for us. Once again, talking with Dan Lindbergh and John Minton from ESPN, part of the four-part Jim Calhoun series. Appreciate their time. When we come back, we'll talk more with them about what they learned about Division Three. if we might see more in-depth pieces about Division Three athletics told from a different vantage point, but maybe in a way that certainly celebrates the student-athletes and the programs that are involved and their takeaways from all of this. You listen to the Hoopsville season finale podcast presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More Hoopsville when we come back. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no look pass and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us, to to stop stop sexual sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. Once again, welcome back to the Hoopsville Season Finale Podcast presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. We're in our middle of a conversation with those in charge and put together the Calhoun Project, a four-part series on E60, talking with Dan Lindbergh and John Minton about why they chose to do this and what they learned a little bit more. We continued the conversation. First practice seems obvious. The first game seems obvious. Even the first road game seems obvious. Those are things you're going to want to go document. How did you determine what else to document? I guess Calhoun coming back uh, from his surprise um, cancer surgery um, was another one that was obvious. But how did you pick and choose the times you were going to be on campus or with the team during the season? Well, I think when you try to do a project like this, there are certain things you can schedule 
and there are certain things that are just going to happen that, you know, either you're there for them or you're not. Um, and I think of the things that we could schedule, we looked at trying uh, to pick turning points in the season. If they were on a losing streak, we tried to identify and hope, all right, well, we got to be at that game where they end the losing streak and start to trend back upwards. Um, if they had won a couple games in a row and they were going on a big uh, on a big road game, say, all right, well, this is a big one for them. But we're not doing a highlight, and I hope that came through in the last episode. It'll definitely come through in the next episode. Um, it's a journey, and uh, it's a story of not the university, but the people at the university that are you know going through this season. And I think that um, you know certainly our proximity helped. Uh, you mentioned Coach's return from his cancer surgery. Um, we didn't know that was happening until about an hour before he was he was coming in. But with our proximity, we got a call from the sports information director that he was coming in. So we dropped what we were doing, headed over to campus, and shot him walking into the building. Um, so those are things that we didn't necessarily have scheduled, but we knew we, we just planted a seed and said, hey, the first time Coach comes back, we want to be there. Let us know. And uh, it happened pretty quick, but with our proximity, we were able to make it happen. When it came to, I guess, the prototypical question we've been building to, you talk about knowing small college stuffs in high school and certainly and in, in, in run the gamut. And if I go look at some of the stories you guys have put together for E60, they're, and to be honest with you, some of my favorites, you certainly understand that a little bit. But what did what did you learn about small college basketball or Division three that you didn't really appreciate or or it needed to be a full season to grasp if that makes any sense you know i think um i think back to uh there was a the johnson and wales game that st joseph's played this year and johnson and wales uh, i want to say was the defending champion mm-hmm. in the conference they were certainly the preseason number one pick yeah uh and i remember that being a big game and the, the way that the game played out and we, we kind of teased it at the end of episode three, was, was really unlike anything that I had seen on the D1 level, certainly in some time. And I think what I really took away from that game uh, on a bigger bigger picture standpoint is, you know, the game of basketball knows no bounds and knows no divisions that, you know, storylines and great competition and, and great games uh, are, are just can, can be spread throughout anywhere. And, you know, I remember when Coach said at the beginning of the year, you know, he said Division One, Division Three, Division Seven. It doesn't matter. The game is the game, and the kids are the kids. And I remember hearing it at that time and wondering how much truth there was to that statement. Mm. And I remember thinking specifically at the end of that Johnson and Wales game, which you guys will see in Episode Four. It was the first time I felt that that you really could kind of um, fill a void being a Hall of Fame coach from Division One at any level of basketball. That the game itself has ways of fulfilling voids if you're as passionate about the game as Coach Calhoun is. Well said. Yeah, it got me there. Uh, I like it. Uh, we we certainly appreciate Division Three. I will say this. Trepidatiously started watching it going, is this going to be the prototypical, always in this cute Division Three story? And I, I haven't gotten that. Granted, a lot of focus on Calhoun, and rightly so. Um, but I, I definitely got a sense more that you guys appreciated that these are student athletes just like Division One, and that these guys are putting it forward just like they are uh, at Division One, though maybe with a little different of a academic rigor. But that's our own personal opinion. Um, and curious before I let you go, 
does this open the door to other projects? Um, you guys have a ton of schools around you. Um, you could certainly do other kinds of things like this. Or is this one of those where, you know, your bosses or whatever say, well, you've done that story? That's a good question. I think uh, when it's all said and done, we those are conversations we need to have with uh, with our teams and, you know, with our network. You know, the, the landscape of, you know, television is, is changing, and uh, there are more homes for projects like this, as we said before. A lot of this content is going on video on demand, and I think that's where a lot of people are um, – watching it before they watch it on television. So I, I would say that certainly nothing is nothing is off limits moving forward. Uh, we have one episode to go. Um, so we're, we're not looking at this as, hey, we've had three good ones. Um, you know, it's, it's already a success. Uh, we need to really knock this fourth one out of the park for this project to be a success because um, from the first minute through the last minute, we want everything to everything to really sing, as we like to say. Um, so once we get done with this, uh, we're going to sit down, we're going to have some conversations. And, you know, going back, I guess, to your last question, you know, we have a, we have a saying, it said everybody has a story. Um, you know, so it's, it's not the division, it's, it's, it's about the people. And uh, as long as your focus, as long as our focus as storytellers is going to be about people, I think, you know, the, the possibilities are endless of where we can tell stories and how we can tell them because everybody has one. I totally agree with that. I think, um, you know, what we're really looking for are stories that have potential to inspire, to inform, or even transcend the way that people think. And, you know, whatever that is and wherever that is, is, is something that we would always consider. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we would ever not do something like this again because we've already done it. Well, wherever the next story is and, and wherever we have uh, the next opportunity to, to just inspire people or to inform, uh, we will be there uh, around the world. It really doesn't matter. We, we're a global show. We think that way. And wherever the next opportunity presents itself, if somebody is interested in sharing their story, uh, we, we hope to be the place that people choose to do it. Well, I appreciate the time, gentlemen, for joining me here. What would you say to pitch everybody to watch all four parts of this story? Yeah, I'll go first. This is Dan. I would say that um, what I've been telling people uh, is I grew up in Milwaukee. I went to uh, I went to Purdue. Sweet 16. Yep. Love it. Um, boiler up. I had to throw that in there. Um, I was not as well-versed um, in the history of UConn basketball, in the history of Jim Calhoun. Of course, I remember the 2011 run, the Big East tournament, the national championship. I remember 99. Um, but I would just say that we've been trying to produce this, and John's heard me say this a million times. He's probably sick of it, but John's a UConn guy, but me not being a UConn guy, it doesn't matter. I'm a fan of college basketball, and if you're a fan of college basketball, that is our target audience. It doesn't matter who you grew up rooting for, who you currently root for, what division they play in. If you like the sport and you like the people involved in the sport, we hope that this is something that um, that you'll enjoy and that might be a little bit different. You know, the one thing I would say, a little more specifically to, to this project with Coach, um, I, I, I find it inspiring at 76 years old, in the middle of fighting stage four cancer, the amount of passion and purpose that Coach Calhoun has 
for leading this Division Three program. And so what I would say is most of us know somebody, if not someone very close to us, who is, has been in, uh, impacted by cancer or, or something else that is, has is in some ways limited their ability to live their life how they want to. And I would implore people to watch this to see what's possible while battling something as severe as stage four cancer at the age of 76 on how, you, on how you could live with passion and live with purpose. And I've said it before, and I'll, I'll say it again for, for you and your viewers, Dave. I, I hope at 76 years old that I'm fortunate enough to have something in my life that I'm as passionate about as Coach Calhoun is about the sport of basketball. Well said. I agree with you entirely. That's certainly what I got from the first three episodes so far. Gentlemen, I really appreciate the time you took. We, we took a good chunk of your day. I, I appreciate the uh, openness and, and giving us an insight on this project, as it were. We have a tradition on this show, throwing you a curveball here. We always give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who, who may be tuned in? Uh, I would just say that uh, this Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern, ESPN, E60, Episode 4 of the Calhoun Project, and any uh, video-on-demand service, the ESPN app, Apple TV, anything like that, you can find Chapters 1, 2, and 3 on there. Um, hunker in, do some binge-watching, uh, and we'll see you Sunday morning. Uh, that's perfect. I was going to have to do that eventually anyway, so you've done it for me. So I appreciate <laughs> it. Gentlemen, thanks so much. Take care, and we'll look forward to whatever your projects may bring us down the road. Thank you so much. Thanks for the time. Once again, Dan Lindbergh and John Mitten from ESPN, producers of the four-part Jim Calhoun series, joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Again, you can see the finale of it coming up uh, 9 o'clock on Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern on Sunday, I should say, on ESPN, part of E60. Or, again, wherever you can watch ESPN, watch ESPN or whatever, you can see the entire four-part series. Granted, the fourth part will come out after it airs on ESPN first, but you can binge watch it, as it were, and catch up on the series there as well, which is honestly what I did in the first three parts. Found it fascinating. Look forward to seeing if those two gentlemen might be able to do some more stories down the road. Also fascinating to keep an eye on St. Joseph's next year. you got to figure Jim Calhoun has figured out something. He's a good coach. There's a reason he's a Hall of Famer. I think we're going to be talking about that program in the years to come for good reason. When we come back, we kind of wrap up the show with our final segment. We'll, we'll get a notebook out, just a couple notes that you should keep an eye on, talk about what we're going to be doing in the offseason, give you our final thoughts. Mainly we'll go back to Fort Wayne to get those from Pat Coleman and Bob Coleman and myself, and then we'll wrap it up with some thank yous. You'll listen to the Hoopsville Season Finale podcast presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. Back as we wrap it up when we come back. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are 
the WBCA. UW-Eau Claire and Mayo Clinic Health System are creating amazing opportunities for students from across the Midwest. Our collaborative research agreement allows students to work with world-renowned physicians and scientists. And with more than 80 majors, UW-Eau Claire is the perfect fit for those who dream big and are ready to change the world. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. Welcome back to Hoopsville Season Finale Podcast, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC Studios. I am Dave Minkew. Time for essentially our final segment. We'll go through a little bit of a notebook here, get you our final thoughts, thanks in part to Bob Quillman, Pat Coleman, and myself, and then get you some thank yous as well. Let's start with the notebook, and let's start almost looking ahead to next year. It is not official. We keep waiting for official word, and it keeps seeming to be dragged out for varying reasons but be ready for men going to Atlanta again in 2020 as part of the Division 1, 2, and 3 celebration, as it were. It's something we knew was coming. They've already approved one basically by the end of 2020 or 2021 to have this done. And then there will be a second one. Women's basketball, the same. They've, they've dedicated money for men's and women's basketball ready the first go around to have all three divisions at one site. Interestingly enough, like it was six years ago, we'll be headed to Atlanta where all three divisions on the men's side will celebrate. Good news is, unlike six years ago when the tournament was six weeks long, which we saw that quirk this year having the conference or the the championships on conference championship weekend in Division One, which unfortunately had the uh, Division Three titles, I think, lost a little bit of uh, notoriety and spotlight. Uh, five years from now. We don't have that crazy timing, so the schedule can work a little bit differently. Uh, I've read a few news reports regarding this. It seems like some officials are already talking about that Fort Wayne, which we should point out, cannot move its weekend like Salem could do six years ago. They they actually are going to be running the second weekend of the D1 Women's Tournament the following weekend. So there's just no wiggle room for Fort Wayne. But it seems the plan will be to have Fort Wayne get the Elite Eight and, and Final Four. So just like Salem did but in its traditional weekend. So that means either the first weekend or the second weekend is going to have to be a one-weekend or one-game weekend, whether we play the first two rounds, the opening weekend, and a single game the second weekend, and then go to Fort Wayne with eight teams, or it's one game the opening weekend and two games the second weekend and go to Fort Wayne with the next two rounds. I don't know. We don't have those answers yet. We'll certainly be talking to the committee and elsewhere to find out what they may do. But that is coming. We're just again, we're we're waiting for the official announcement. But I can tell you it will this is how it's happening. We're going to Atlanta. We've dotted our t- I's and crossed our T's and made sure we got this information accurate. We will be going to Atlanta in 2020 with all three divisions. So we'll see how that all plays out, but it'll be something we'll keep an eye on in the offseason as well. And, of course, new rules will be coming next season, I think. We're on a, a rule cycle, I believe. Uh, we'll be talking, hopefully, in the offseason about any rule those rule changes coming. There's plenty of rumors out there. I can tell you this much. I'd be shocked if men's basketball goes to quarters. They have too many complications with that, with the CBS slash Turner uh, deal 
for the postseason that I, I just don't see quarters coming into play. But I see how they're trying to play with it. I've seen some reports about how they're trying to massage it to get it out sooner than that contract would allow. I just don't think they can pull it off as fast as next year. I'll celebrate it if they do. I just don't think we will see it for sure. But keep an eye on that. We'll keep keep an eye on it as well. Um, coaching changes already hot and heavy. Obviously, we were on the air. Um, I don't remember what show it was. I think it was our, our bracket reaction show when um, Vandestreek's retirement from Calvin was announced. That job is now officially open, and there's a plenty of rumor, to say the least, if um, that comes through. We'll, we'll see. Um, but there's other things to keep an eye on. Obviously, Wisconsin Oshkosh will keep an eye on whether Matt Lewis gets that interim title removed. Gut feeling that will happen, right, folks? Uh, Worcester's Steve Moore news is out. Just uh, shortly before we recorded this, the news that Steve Moore will retire after next season. Um, I don't think that is a surprise necessarily. I've been wondering for a little while now if Steve Moore was was going to maybe hang it up, as it were. But they've announced that next year, his 34th season, leading the Fighting Scots and will be his 39th as a Division Three coach, will be his final one. And they've already replaced the, uh, or announced the replacement. So anybody who had helps with taking over the Fighting Scots program, uh, you can forget about it, <laughs> as it were. They've already announced that his long, long-time assistant will be the one who takes over. Um, Doug Klein, that is, associate head coach, I should say. So congratulations to Steve Moore. We'll be sure to be talking to him next year. Another news on the women's side uh, just happened before we recorded this segment. George Fox has announced that Michael Meek is leaving for the University of Portland. There have been a number of D3 to D1 hires, I think this week alone, in women's basketball. Meek might be the highest profile one. He certainly helped George Fox achieve greatness. There have been some tremendous women's coaches out of the Northwest Conference and George Fox and elsewhere who've gone on to do some good things. We'll keep an eye on Meek at Portland, though I'll admit, going to miss him and wish him luck. We'll see where the George Fox program, who they hire for starters, and where it goes from here. Uh, Bittersweet that Jenkins is out at Oberlin. You may remember he was a member of our WBCA Um, center court segment earlier this season. He is out at Oberlin, and we wish him luck. Steve Howes also announced his retirement, or resignation is a better word, at Catholic. Checked into this because I was kind of curious. It sounds like Steve um, decided to to move on on his own. I don't know what he's got in store. We wish him luck. I think this is going to be a highly sought-after job. I know there are plenty of rumors out there. We've already had to shoot down one of them. The job hasn't even opened up yet. And there are already rumors about who should get the job. Um, uh, an alum being mentioned, we won't kind of push those rumors here now. Um, I think it's going to be a highly sought-after job. I don't think or sought-after job. I don't think you can uh, just peg this on a front runner right now. I think it's going to depend on who wants to go there. But I think people understand that you can win at Catholic. I also think they understand that Catholic's taking a big step forward again with their athletics department. I'll be fascinated to see how that all plays out. By the way, you can always keep track of the coaching carousel on d3hoops.com. We do our best to stay up with it in the offseason. Some of the jobs, like uh, the lower-end ones, to be honest, we'll maybe get when somebody has been hired. But obviously the higher-profile jobs, Catholic, uh, Worcester, George Fox, etc., we will uh, certainly announce when we get word of a change there as well. So those are the coaching changes. Uh, Also on the notebook, um, we should point out, you know, it's been a great year. It was a, a little bit of a wonky year in terms of schedule. We keep an eye on that. 
Uh, but it was also a great year in Fort Wayne and Fort Wayne's first season tackling this. There were some some bugs. There were some things that I think growing pains, as it were, or I think uh, the tournament try or the committee maybe or whoever tried to take advantage of a clean um, palette, as it were, and do things a little differently. I think they're going to revisit. There were some quirks, uh, some of them behind the scenes that you can't appreciate. We're not going to go inside baseball on you. But some things that I just don't think worked, but there were some things that worked tremendously well. And I thought the Fort Wayne people certainly rolled out the welcome mat. We didn't really mention this a lot, but and, and I'm not trying to dwell in it, but you know a community's behind you when a lot of businesses are saluting the the championships being there. And there was an adult establishment around the corner uh, from the Coliseum that was celebrating the fact that the tournament was there. And let's be honest, if they don't care, they're not doing that. They seem to care enough to celebrate it and, and hats off to them. It might be not the greatest way of promotion if you're a city, but at the same time, you've got to appreciate as a city that you've gotten the, the groups that you've gotten businesses and you've gotten others on board with that. I will say, I, I'm hoping maybe we can see a return of Special Olympics. It was noticeably absent at these championships. Um, I, I'm hoping we can maybe go in that direction again. Salem, of course, was the pioneer in that category. But Division Three now is a partner of Special Olympics, despite any attempts elsewhere uh, to hamper that. I'm hoping that that makes a bigger appearance in Fort Wayne. But I also don't know what may have happened that didn't have that Special Olympics theme as much this year. Um, but otherwise, great job at Fort Wayne. And I know it was a wonderful job at Roanoke College as well in the city of Salem in the Roanoke Valley in Virginia. Looking forward to being at Capitol next year. We'll probably be talking to Dixie Jeffers in the offseason about all of that and them getting ready. Of course, Dixie was heavily involved in Salem as well, as Gordon Mann alluded. She uh, was traveling down when he wasn't necessarily traveling down, but they both got there at the same time, or not the same time, but down there for the same reasons. We'll look forward to seeing what Capital does next year. And, of course, it returns to Salem the following year. And and back to the Atlanta point, I don't know when women is officially slated at this point to bring all three championships together again. But per Atlanta, we're going to have to do some heavy fundraising in the offseason uh, and even in next season to uh, to get to that uh, championship once again. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Before we go uh, and before we get to our thank yous, let's go back to Fort Wayne one more time and hear from Pat Coleman, Bob Quillman, of course, myself, on what we thought of this season. Yeah, well, first of all, just a great uh, 2018-19 Division Three basketball season, yeah. both men's and women's. So I take some time to kind of cover the length and breadth of that. I mean, we talked about this a little bit already, right? A season uh, of a lot of balance, a season when things were not super predictable. You know, we went into the 2018 Final Four with two unranked teams, yeah. two unranked teams, one of them not won the national championship. Um, that is was more an indictment of the poll, I think, from 2018. Uh, you know, Nebraska Wesleyan deserved some things oh. going into that tournament that they did not Weren't get. Weren't they getting votes? I know uh, I voted. I was I'm, voting for them. Yeah, but they needed to be in the top 25 oh, sure. based I on agree. what they had done. This year, you know, we, we talk about balance, and what happened was, you know, we talked about we lopped some of those teams off the top, right? Number one wasn't here. Number two. Number two wasn't here. Number three, number five. St. Thomas wasn't number here. They were right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. We lost a we lost a bunch of those teams. But because kind of the, the since that tier is so big, like we said, uh, that that's what made this so interesting. And and here's the thing, we knew it last year, right? 
we read down yeah. first off that list of all Americans and there were a lot of underclassmen on that list of 25 guys. And we looked at the, the big teams in Division Three, the teams that had been successful uh, in 2018, and like almost to a man, right. they all had significant pieces coming back. And that's what made this such a great year. And it was a, it was a good year to be – it was a good year to get dragged back in. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I would just say, uh, first of all, Fort Wayne, uh, this, yeah. this has been a, a real big success. So they've done a great job here. I love the venue. Um, the staff has done a wonderful job with this. Geographically, I like where it is. This is a good start and something to build on here in Fort Wayne. Uh, I'd say it's been a great season. It's a long season. I remember voting in the, f the preseason poll, and I know where I was. I was in Maui. Oh, so okay. I, so that was October 10th-ish, <laughs> and I was voting Whatever. in the poll, and that was like ages ago, and here we are in March. And uh, you think through all the ups and downs of the season, all the great games, all the the Hoopsville shows we've done where we've yeah. been talking Thanks about these things, on. all the ballots we've put together. And at the end of the day, one of the teams that we've talked about all along the way, you know, the Oshkosh Titans, we knew they'd be great. We've had them up in the top five most of the season, and uh, they get it done and emerge. So it's just been a wonderful year. Yeah, it certainly has been a fun year. Um, yeah, we go start going through these teams and looking at how many team guys come back from these teams. Yeah, we could say the same thing again. Square one. Uh, season started on November 8th. It started earlier this year. Yeah. It will start earlier from now on. Um, you know, it's you know, there's a, there's rule changes possibly to come in the offseason, but this year was so much fun. And it was funny because I try to take a little bit of a step back. I, I try to say, okay, listen, I'm not going to try and watch as many games as I normally do. I want to spend a little more time with the family. Don't want to be stuck in the office, studio, at home as much. Don't want to travel out to see as many games. And then there were times I'd be sitting there, and, you know, we have this Slack channel that we're chatting with, and I'll be like, oh, let's see what the guy – and they're blowing up about six games. <laughs> and right. I'm sitting there and, you know, what's wrong? Should have been watching games tonight. <laughs> can't take <laughs> Just can't win. Uh, it was fun to watch games on the, on the West Coast. It's fun to see more and more schools broadcasting games of pretty good quality so we can enjoy it, so we can enjoy Division Three and celebrate these student-athletes. It was a fun season. And there's nothing improbable about the champs, no matter who won, because they all had great runs and great stories to the end. Once again, thanks to Bob, Pat, uh, for their takes on things and appreciate their help, along with Ryan Scott and Brendan Gulick and, of course, City of um, Fort Wayne and, and the arena and all of, the, all of those people involved in helping us get the broadcasts on and off the air there and helping us with other things as well. Uh, Dylan, the uh, media representative there, of course, uh, Adam Skaggs, who we talked to from the NCAA office, and plenty more. There are so many people we got a chance to see there, and we thank them for their help and attention as well. All right, so let's get to our thank yous a little bit. And let me just say this year was was a very good year stepping forward in terms of keeping this show on the air moving forward. Got to partner with a few new uh, groups, as it were, and we ho and we got some nibbles from some other groups who just didn't have time to massage it. We also had some gremlins. We hope to resolve those in the offseason and move forward with having more advertisers and more sponsors on the show so that we can do more and, as we hinted at, get to Atlanta with a, with a little bit less costs in our pocket, as it were. So uh, officially, obviously, we want to thank D3Hoops.com and, and the entire staff there who always were willing to come on the show. We'll make Bob Quillman an honorary member of that group as well. But we also have... Um, 
and BJ's being a Meyer at DeSales. We had James Wagner, assistant uh, commissioner at the CSAC, who were willing to come on the show and talk about Division Three basketball. So everybody associated with D3 Hoops and not directly associated with D3 Hoops, want to thank their, their help with this show. Also, of course, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, we have now been tied at the hip for something like 10 years. Uh, I've lost track. I know I've lived uh, and we've had this studio, I think, for 10 seasons, maybe 11. And that has been instrumental, and we really appreciate the support of the NABC. And, of course, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, the WBCA, we've now been uh, together for about three years, and and their work um, and their help behind the scenes in getting guests on the show has been instrumental. I'll say this now. We'll make it an open call. If you can think of a coach who's associated with the NABC or the WBCA who does more than coaching, there's a bigger story there, as it were, that we should learn about, whether they're a winning coach or whether they've got their program improving or they're struggling. I don't care what the record is, but if there's a story to be told, we want to hear about it. Now, we have a lot of coaches we've talked about, and sometimes it comes repetitive. But if you got an idea, please share it with us. Of course, you can always email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. But we look forward to partnering with the NABC and the WBCA next season and bringing back, of course, the Coach's Corner and Center Court as well. And look forward to maybe partnering with others to bring other segments to this show in the future. also want to thank Blue Frame Technology. Came on board as the Hoopsville Hotline sponsor. We're going to talk about bigger opportunities down the road. I think we got some ideas I think can help change this show, make it better or make it at least easier for us to some degree. Really looking forward to continuing our talks with Blue Frame Technology. And again, if you're interested in streaming with Blue Frame or using their production truck software, please mention us uh, on the show. Mention my name, whatever it is. It kind of helps this show as well financially. And so please do so. Of course, I want to thank the city of Fort Wayne and visit Fort Wayne for coming on board this year. Uh, we were getting to know them as much as they were getting to know us. And we look forward to having talking with them next year and having them back on board as part of the men's possible Elite Eight Final Four, you know, quarter semis. Of course, City of Salem, Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, the tourism groups there, of course, the ODAC and all them for coming on board and, and their ongoing support. Kerry Harvey Cutter is a longtime friend of this show, and I can't imagine Division Three championships without Kerry, but I can't imagine a lot of the work we do without Kerry as well. And that does not mean gentlemen like Brad Bankston and J.J. Nekoloff shouldn't be thanked as well as they have helped push us in a better direction. I also want to thank two schools that came on board this year, and I have a feeling we may get some more next year. Wisconsin-Eau Claire Athletics and Randolph-Macon Athletics decided to jump on with a new idea and advertise with us. Remember, we did this with George Fox a number of years ago. It certainly worked, but we still struggled to kind of get it off the ground. I think we're getting it off the ground now. And their small support has made a big difference, especially in the offseason when we have a bunch of bills that you don't realize help keep this this show going for just the time we're on the air. We have bills in the offseason, too. Um, and expenses that we're still paying off. And so their support and, and others have been instrumental in getting us, it's keeping us on the air, and we look forward to growing that if we can, and including more sponsors and advertisers. If you are a sponsor or advertiser or you know somebody out there who may be interested in partnering with us, you see how we run ads on the video show, you can hear how we run ads during the podcast, please send them our way. We would love to talk to them, especially in the offseason, and set something up ahead of next year. And now let's talk quickly before we go about the offseason and next year. Our hope as we have the last couple of offseasons is to do some off uh, out-of-season podcasts. On the football side, Pat Coleman, uh, Keith McMillan, and the gang do want to be about once every month. 
I'm hoping we can do that as well. Whether we get one out of the gate in April is to be determined. I might need a little bit of time as I transition into other sports and other jobs. But hopefully in May, June, July, August, September, and even October, we can bring you maybe an hour-long podcast talking about topics, whether it's new rule changes or the or the committees as they adjust things or changes to the schedule next year or whatever it may be, coaching changes or any of the nuances in, in basketball, we hope we can bring that to you in the offseason. That's not to take away from Gordon Mann, who does a, a podcast or two during the offseason as well, but we hope we can keep this going, as it were, and we're looking for another way to get you involved with us in a kind of pay-per-view kind of model Lots of ideas that we're going to hope they hopefully hash out in the next few weeks. And with that, we say thank you and goodbye. You've been listening to the Hoopsville season finale podcast. I want to thank our guests, obviously Pat Coleman and Bob Quillman and, and the rest of the gang in Fort Wayne who joined us throughout the weekend there next year with an Elite Eight and Final Four. It may be a lot of heavy lifting. Of course, that's where that whole idea started was when Salem hosted those championships six years ago. Or that, I should say, those rounds. Also want to thank uh, Gordon Mann for coming on, giving his take on the women's championships. Of course, Matt Lewis at Wisconsin Oshkosh and Jeff Hands at Thomas Moore for coming on the show. Really appreciate the time that they took out of their schedules. Uh, at ESPN, I want to, want to thank Dan Lindbergh and John Minton for coming on the program to talk about the Calhoun Project. Um, and the sports information directors, we try and thank them all the time. Um, at Oshkosh, obviously, Kennan and others there who helped us throughout the year, but especially getting Matt Lewis on the show. Uh, Corey at Thomas Moore, thanks for his time. And Molly Mitta, I want to thank her at ESPN Communications. And my friend Tisha Thompson, by the way, who's a reporter at ESPN, for helping us get Dan and John on the show. Appreciate the time that they took to do that. And with that, let's wrap this baby up, right? Congratulations to the champs, Oshkosh and... Uh, Thomas Moore. But also congratulations to all the other teams who not only made the NCAA tournament, but made deep runs. We got some great, exciting basketball. You saw it on the whip arounds, and there was so much more that we didn't get to maybe see live. But it was so much fun, the postseason. And it was such a fun season from start to finish. Even if you were on a team that won a, one or two games, congratulations to the student athletes and coaches on the season. And we wish you nothing but the best in the offseason and continued success into next year. And until we're back on the air, you have been listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. Appreciate the time you took to listen to us. And we look forward to interacting and talking with you in the future. Goodbye, everybody. Copyrighted broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.